Hello and welcome to the Fun Filtered Podcast. Uh, we are back. It is the new year. Uh, new year, new equipment. New Happy decade. New Year. Happy New Year. New, new decade. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. Uh, Happy, we haven't seen you in the new decade. Yeah, Happy New Decade. Please acknowledge. I've said it like three times now. <laughs> Please acknowledge Happy that it's decade. a new decade. Happy New Decade, everybody. We haven't seen you in the new year, have we? No. Um, as always, it's me joined by Sam. Hello. And Jordan. Hello. Uh, if you hadn't guessed by this point. Yeah, I forgot about that bit. <laughs> um, I, well, I haven't seen you since before Christmas. No. How was Christmas? Do you know what? Actually, it wasn't bad. Okay. It really wasn't. I had a quite a nice time with my mum. Okay. We, we were in a cottage in the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, so that, and it was actually quite nice. Oh, was this... Um... What's it? it starts with a G. Gilston, Jarlston. Jarlston, yeah, yeah. It's yeah okay. so- somewhere in South Wales. Okay. I don't even know how to pronounce. Okay. You told us you'd been kidnapped by Father Christmas. I yeah, did. do you want to explain that? <laughs> you lied to us. Because I had no context <laughs> for this. Um, I don't really know. I was. It was just a, what I said, wasn't it? Okay. I didn't really have right. a thing. I was just, yeah. Okay. It'd be funny if I said this. Oh, well, I'm glad you were lying, Eddie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, Father... it, the adventure's so much better. Yeah. Father Christmas did not kidnap me. Um, um, we are recording on new equipment. Yes, we are. Um, much upgraded, well, say upgraded equipment. We recorded on a phone before. Um, <laughs> anything would be an upgrade. Anything really, would be an upgrade. Now we um, have actual microphones. Yeah. We've got things that uh, kind of connect to the end of tables. Yes. If that's not a sign of 2020, I don't know what is. Yeah, spit shields. Um, Saw you Christmas. How was your decade, lads? How was the decade? How was the decade for you? Granted, we have like one other decade to compare it to. Yeah. Basically. Uh, I mean, I met one you. One full decade. I, I met say. you guys. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. met. That was a good bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that, did that, that uni that thing? Was it. <laughs> Went to university. Yeah. Stopped going to university. Um, got a job. Got a job very briefly. Um, did grown up things for like five minutes speak for yourself <laughs> um, I, I don't know really not much had sex yeah yeah had sex <laughs> that was for the first time that happened okay <laughs> <laughs> new year's resolution new decade resolution new decade resolution, new decade resolution. Yeah. I like okay. it that's my decade in review I will say okay. yeah my, my decade in review is uni sex drinking mm. Podcast. 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 <laughs> yeah, at the very end of it. Yeah. Okay. So we're in your house. We are. We're in my house for once. I don't know if the acoustics or well, it's going to sound better, whatever the case, isn't it? But I hope so. Yeah. Considering <laughs> <laughs> we've got, you know, so, we've done this upgrade. We listen back, and it's like, ugh, only we had that phone. Yeah. yeah. We put our phones on silent. We've deactivated oh, the clock. Shit. No, we haven't. Oh, we haven't. <laughs> We've deactivated the clock. We have oh, not put our phones. Right. Well, I can't actually see my phone. Well, usually, so. is that you, not your phone? Usually, my phone yes. is what we're yes, recording on. So that's why I didn't, oh, didn't think about I'm connected it. to okay. the internet and everything. Oh. Facebook could have gone off. Oh no. George, what are you silent. doing? It's, yeah, it's fine. Well, vibrate, but no one calls me. No. So tempted to call them. <laughs> So yeah, now that we've we've made quite a big leap forward technologically, you have to forgive us any deficit on our end in terms of lip smacking or breathing heavily down the mic or general environmental sounds. I see what you did there, Eddie. <laughs> um, so, yeah. the gimmick. 
<laughs> it's not a gimmick, is it? No. no. Uh, we we're doing our. What well, do you want to introduce the concept? Um, the so we're going through our top tens of the twenty tens in mm. terms of cinema. Yes, top ten films of the twenty tens. Yeah. So we all. I think it was December first our deadline. De- yes, December first was the deadline we set ourselves. Yeah. Um, to come up with a list, and then we put the, those in our group chat. Some of us didn't stick to said deadline. No, so- did we, Samuel? What do you mean I did? <laughs> oh no, okay, I changed one last No, he was minute. having a go, Sam. That's okay. fine. All right, okay, I was going to say, we'll move on to the real... Uh, yeah, I was saying, yes, we'll move on to Jordan yeah. in a minute, but you cha- did change your film at the last minute. I did minute. It at the last minute, yeah. Um, Which, uh, to be fair, I will say it's fair enough, because... Yeah, but also a film that um, I hadn't seen. So it was, it was a new film. Yes. You know? um, and to, to be fair, I very much nearly did the same. Okay, so... Yeah, we all we basically had 30 films to watch. Uh, to make notes on or yeah. rewatch, principally, um, to refresh our uh, minds on them. How did you get on with the thirty, George? Um, I don't know how many I watched. It certainly wasn't thirty. Um, <laughs> but in my defence, I was journalist. Did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> but in my defence, I was you know busy editing this podcast. Mate, and, you had and other you third had party commitments. You had a couple of weeks, full couple of weeks. To catch up on all the I had some chocolate to get through, alright? I was busy. (laughs) I had much to get through. Have you not made a New Year's resolution about chocolate? That's like the go-to New Year's resolution. Oh, should I? Yeah. Okay. Uh, My New Year's resolution is drinking. Do more? Do more of it, yeah. (laughs) Uh, No, um, I'm doing it a challenge with my mother. Alright. In that we've got to do 20 out of 20 weeks sober. Um, And the goal is that we're both doing it at at the start of the year. Oh, so you have to go 24 weeks. 20, not yeah. consecutively, though. It doesn't have to be consecutively, okay. but for, my mother's got a walk later in the year that she's doing. Right. Um, so for her, okay, 20 weeks works out for when the, the walk is. So we're both trying to do it consecutively. Okay. Good luck with that. Yes. Yeah. Working in a pub, probably not the best place to um, yeah, I'm working try and that. be sober. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, isn't it like the whole thing about working in a chocolate factory, like you wouldn't want to eat the chocolate? No, working in a pub makes you an alcoholic. It doesn't make you an alcoholic. Right. So, yeah, we had to watch 30 films. You didn't watch any, really? Including No, I I watched some. (laughs) Okay. I watched the ones that I needed to watch. Okay. I think. Um, So you watched the ones you hadn't seen, basically. Yes. Well, I'm sure my our discussion will reflect which ones I have and haven't seen. (laughs) Um, So Eddie and I actually did watch... Yes. everyone's films yes the only film I wouldn't have watched and I'm only going to br- bring it up as a yeah. uh, point of it was a film that was on Jordan's list which isn't on Jordan's list no um, which is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes yes um, through sheer I, I wasn't for lack of trying but <laughs> sheer boredom as soon as I switched on the film it's a shame you took it off your list really um, you were ready to, to you were all fired up it. yeah <laughs> yeah okay um you know, I, I like. I don't yeah, think there's fundamentally happens, fundamentally wrong with the film. Mm. But my God, I was bored. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. You know. Yeah. It's one of the top ten of that year, I would say. Yeah, I would agree, and that's sort of why it ended up on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there are many other good films as well. Some so. of which we're about to get into. Oh yeah, should we say spoilers for all of these films? Yeah, spoilers for every film. Okay. Use the timestamps if you're curious uh, as to what the films are. But yeah, in terms of discussion, we're probably going to be spoiling without warning. We probably shouldn't be timestamping the films, should we? Well, it, I won't say what the films okay, are. Okay, okay. But yeah. Right. Top ten of the tens. Okay. Music. Cue music. There's going to be some music now. 
music's just happened. The music's just happened. Okay, so, Mr. Boylet. Yes. Would you like to kick off with your number 10? Okay. Ten, 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 ten. Uh, so my number 10 yeah. uh, is Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Okay. Shit. That, <laughs> <laughs> that was the last film I watched today, that was. Yeah. That's the final film. Yeah. Um, Do you want to give a plot? Synopsis okay, quickly. so Birdman is about um, a sort of aging actor, Regan Thompson, mm-hmm. who is trying to establish himself as more of a serious theatre actor. Yep. Um, so he puts on a play of is it Carver, isn't it? Yeah, Raymond Carver. Raymond Carver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on Broadway um, to try and escape the fact that he was a superhero uh, in films, basically. Yes. Yeah, I think that's, that's all you really need to know. Yeah. It's kind of like one shot, like how how they they filmed. It's kind of like a one shot yeah. uh, attempt. I, I don't know. It's, I mean, I'm quite. I was brought up on theatre a lot, so for me, that I think that's where the interest came from. I think. Um, I don't know. I'm. I'm. I, it's going to be hard for me to talk about this because it's gone down my list. The in- okay. This is the one film that's gone down my list. Consistently, okay. Since we started doing this, why has it gone down in your estimation? It's the film where I, the more I've rewatched it, the less I've cared. Okay, so yeah, I watched it today. Like I said, yeah. it was the last one. I, I mean, it's technically very impressive. Yes, but I sort of for the first time I had this, I had the thought that it's kind of the Revenant, for example, which is what the director did after Birdman. Yeah. It's a very kind of shallow film, right? Birdman. No, no, no. The Revenant. Oh, The Revenant, okay. So it's very technically impressive, like Birdman. Yeah. Yep. But there's actually not much going on with The Revenant. It's a very, very basic story. Yeah. When they even bother telling the story. Right. It's, it's a lot of just existing in the environment, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Now, Birdman is significantly better than The Revenant. Yes, it is. Even if it, it abides the same sort of yes. stylish thing. But today I thought, oh, it's a, this is actually a, a quite a shallow film, not 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 shallow. Yeah. But considering what it's about, it's actually it doesn't really go deep. No. Um, so I, I think you know, for me, part of it is it feels quite human. Right. Um, you know, it's ironic for a bird man. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but it, like it just, I don't know. There's just some, for me. There was always something about it. Right. Um, is it partly the... Well, that's Jordan. Oh, right. I'll turn the volume <laughs> off. I didn't even think of that. Um, Apologies. Is it partly the kind of... Because it's the world of theatre, so it, the intricacies are like behind the scenes and... Yeah. Because of that shade, you know? It's yeah, kind of, yeah. It, yeah, seeing that, seeing what it's like, mm-hmm. as I say, getting to see the, the characters, what you know... The journey he goes through, where he goes through through that, and it, how do you get a good review in Hollywood? Mm-hmm. Shoot your own face off. Yeah, it's it's it does have kind of elements of satire to it. The yeah. fact that he actually ends up, uh, you know, shooting himself in the head, and that's reviewed as something like there's a, there's it's, a film critic in the film that kind of embodies. Yeah, she calls it hyper realism. Yeah, she embodies like the the snottiness of the. Uh, Broadway kind of critical elite. Yes, uh, and yeah. has a dim view of any Hollywood actor trying to, you yeah, know, take over Broadway. Yeah, and um, yeah, at the very end when he actually shoots himself in the head, 
yeah, she she writes it off as kind of oh, it's it's a new form of a new expression of theatre. It's yeah. hyper realism, uh, injecting new energy that's been missing from the Amer- from American theatre for a decade, just something like that. Yeah, and it's like yeah, that's clearly a satire. Yeah, you know, on what's expected of these things. But I'm not that acquainted with theatre. You're much more theatre. Yes, guy than I. So I, I don't really know about the internal politics. Is it kind of frowned upon when film actors do plays, you know? Whether it's frowned upon, I don't know if it's the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, some someone will always turn their nose up when, you know, obviously over here it's the West End rather than Broadway, yeah. but it's like, oh, that person's doing this or, you know... Is it kind of like considered like stunt casting almost? Like it's cheap to bring... You're bringing in a film actor so people will go to see it. Yeah. yeah. Daniel Radcliffe doing Equus is a sure. prime example. And of, of course you want full frontal in that. Yes. Because there's a line in Peep Show where they... Um, they go to... They're going to go to the theatre and both are very resistant to the idea. Mm. And Jeremy says to Mark something like, oh, it's okay, they've got people off the telly in theatre now. It's good. <laughs> Do you know, is it that kind of idea that it's sort of like the cheap... Um, form of theatre, whereas you should be going more towards the, or like is it, the Mark Rylances. Yeah, or, or is it seen as like a selfish manoeuvre? It's like, oh, you want to uh, try and make it in our world now, is it? You want to try and like, oh, you know, I've done film, theatre is seen as like better than film mm. or above film, so like, oh, you want to elevate yourself. Legitimize you, uh, yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you want to use us to do that. I mean, I, ca- I can't speak for how it is in America, because obviously over here theatre is more where you build yourself up before you take the leap to yeah. yes yeah you know so it, well, isn't, isn't there a, um, uh, like an understanding that American like British actors because they're trained in theatre they can usually get it in fewer takes than yeah. Americans who are trained on television yeah. yeah so they're used to like I think that, stopping and starting I think that's less and less the case but, yeah but, but I remember that being yeah. something yes. I, yeah, yeah yeah definitely yeah. I think a lot more American actors do theatre now you know mm. but yes yeah I, well I mean as it's certainly changed in more you know like there are film stars now doing tv series all the time mm-hmm. which you wouldn't have necessarily no even well maybe not 10 but definitely 20 years ago the idea of a film actor going to television was a step down yeah for your yeah. career yeah yeah you know well, not every actor wants to do television yeah, yeah. i mean i always say like true detectives like a prime example mm-hmm. i will butcher his name but mahershala ali yeah he's season season three of true detective doing that just off the back of an Oscar? Yeah, he won an Oscar. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> he won another one when yeah. it was on TV. Yeah. So, Jordan, what do you think about Birdman? Well, you said... Um, uh, uh, sorry, I'm adjusting my microphone. Um, you were talking earlier about like how Birdman seems quite shallow. It doesn't really go yeah. into things, mm-hmm. um, even though it gives kind of gives the impression of it. Mm-hmm. But it's a film I think you definitely sell on its style, isn't it? You, you don't sell people on the plot. You sell them on the fact that the film pretends to be filmed in one take. And it's definitely a pretend because there are clear moments in the film where, um, well, I mean, you can see the seams of it sometimes. There's like a shot, I say a shot, there's like a moment very early in the film where the camera kind of pans across a mirror and you can see the moment where they've kind of rotoscoped the image onto the mirror Mm -hmm. and all the depth is kind of lost from the reflection. But there's also moments where time has clearly been crushed, where I think he's like in a room talking to his lawyer Mm. and then all of a sudden he's like doing an interview regarding the play yeah. and like a few maybe even a few hours have passed yeah. or something like that um, but yeah I would say that it's it's a film you sell to people on the gimmick as opposed to the story yeah it depends on strata of the audience I mean like things like that really don't appeal to me 
Like that would be no, a but you're you. Mm. No, you know. but I mean, I, you know, there's mature audiences. <laughs> don't don't care that oh, it's one shot. Oh, you know, it, again, things like it's the same with any film that most films that do that, like Gravity or things like Lord of the Rings, where you're gonna go, well done. Yeah, mm. I don't care. You know what I mean? Well, it depends, doesn't it, on how um, motivated I suppose the gimmick is. I think you pointed out to me after we saw the film for the first time in the cinema. Did you go with us to see it, Eddie, or not? No. Okay. Presumably you saw it in the cinema. Yes. This is not important to my point, I'm just asking. Yes, well. no, yeah, I went to um, that. Yeah, you theorised that the reason they do the one-take thing is to kind of um, show, like, how constant yeah. preparation in theatre is and mm-hmm. just the sheer momentum of things. Mm-hmm. There's, a, yeah. there's a moment that kind of solidifies it, um, and that's, I think it's after the opening performance, opening night performance. Um, the performance yeah. happens and then the camera sort of goes down into the theatre and it sort of holds on, to, on this empty corridor for what feels like a minute almost mm-hmm. maybe even longer maybe shorter I don't know but um, nothing happens there's no sounds you mm-hmm. can kind of hear people off in the background but nothing's happening and then all of a sudden the characters burst into the corridor and the film carries on yeah the film is relentless yeah. like that's pretty much your one moment of rest there's like constant mm-hmm. drums as well all the way constant the drums it's, it, which was a conscious choice they, con- yeah. they went oh in. yeah and the, like the drummer even occasionally appears in the film doesn't yeah. it? Yes. like on the side of the street or yeah whatever. Yeah, it's it's a very um, breathless film. Mm-hmm. Like you, you kind of you, you don't get to relax really. Yeah, when a character scene is done, they kind of walk off as another character enters yeah. the frame, and you're like, oh, it's we're quite, with this yeah, character. It's quite West Wingy almost in that sense. In a, yeah, in a way, yeah. Um, yeah, and I will say it's the one thing I can think of, with the exception of some TV episodes, where the one shot gimmick it's not repellent. No, to me, yeah, yeah. I tend not to like those sorts of things because it does feel like a Oh look what I did! Look yeah, how long my showing off. And it is, it yeah. is showing off. Obviously, yeah. it's showing off, but it's also, it also kind of justifies itself. It's at the service of something. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I wonder how many actual one continual takes are real continual takes. Not many. I don't think. No. There's one film. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's a French film where it is genuinely one take, but it's basically just a person walking around an art gallery for an hour and a half. Okay, there's, there's another. So it's not as impressive as you know. Yeah, they're going through this theater and they're outside in Times Square and they're back in and all that. There's stuff. another a South American film, I think, that it's kind of, it's like a kidnapping drama. That's all. That's legitimately one. Take. Oh no, there was yeah. What was it called? There was. It's a woman's name. I'm sure it is. Yeah, um, not Victoria. No, I think it is Victoria. It is Victoria. I think so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that, but yeah, usually it's you, you. You can if you look closely, you can tell. Yeah, at the moment, like oh, they when they went through that door. Yeah, that was the cut. Yeah, down. and I mean, like um, I bought it when I first saw it. Now, kind of like I rewatched a little bit of it. I didn't, I didn't rewatch the whole thing, but there's yeah. certainly you can tell where the cuts are. I mean, basically, anytime no one's in the frame, which is quite a lot actually, mm. surprisingly. But it's yeah. not like at the same time. It, it, yes, it's showing off, but I don't feel duped when I notice no, no, a no. cut. It's like, oh, well, yes, fine. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't. Like, I, I don't expect them. Well, I know they wouldn't have done it all in one. Yeah, thing, exactly. No, yeah. Yeah. There, there was there's no, no way yeah. that. Was yeah. Like the mirror. There's no way you can uh, cheat a mirror no. shot like that. You no, have no. to rotoscope a yes. reflection in. You know. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, other than that, I, like, it's, it's it's interesting in a sort of decade where superhero films have come to prominence as much as they have. Mm. This is a retired superhero uh, actor. Well, it's almost yeah. um, which ha- would like kind of haunts him. Yeah, it's almost because um, Michael Keaton. I was going to say Michael Sheen. It's not mm-hmm. Michael Sheen. Michael Keaton plays Birdman, the titular yeah. Birdman. Yeah, um, and he played Batman, didn't yeah. he? 
So there's a little bit of like real life seeping in there. Yeah, goes on to play. Is it Vulture in Spider-Man? Yes. Which oh, was, I, don't, I didn't even yeah. think about that. Yeah, no, was like played Birdman and then played Vulture. Yeah, yeah, three or four years later. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure there were jokes about it at the time. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's really good in it. Uh, Emma Stone is really good in it. Edward Norton is really. It's a great yeah. cast. It it's is. A great it ensemble. is. It's given. So anyone who has uh, heard me slag off Zach Galifianakis on the, the podcast <laughs> before, um, this is like the one film I will generally <laughs> watch. Even is bearable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, it is his best performance, I think, probably. Yeah. There's a couple of moments, it's not just him, but I think he's the first person to do it, where he kind of fumbles his lines. Yeah. Is that, do you think that was an intentional choice? No. Okay, all right. I think they kept it in to maintain the illusion. Yes. Of, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I can see them yeah. doing that. Yeah, the, I would say the last thing I'll add is the final shot of the film. Yeah. Um, so obviously, he's in the hospital, um, The win- he opens the window... Emma Stone comes back in yeah. and it's is he up flying in the sky is he down in the street I don't think you see do you no, no you, you don't, don't. No, no, you no, don't. it's left ambiguous intentionally yeah. yeah the film peppers it the film peppers ambiguity as to whether he genuinely has superpowers yes yeah. or whether it's just a weird blend of fantasy and reality mm. but I would the ending I would say surely is to suggest that it is indeed real yes because she just looks up doesn't she and she smiles yeah so unless that itself is an illusion, yeah, then I would say or it's really ending, dark because obviously the, uh, she plays Emma Stone plays his daughter yeah. and they don't get on during the film. No, so maybe yeah, it's just like, oh, thank God he's gone. <laughs> I don't know whether it's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would say that the, the filmmaker's intention was at the end. Oh, it is real. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got that impression yeah. definitely. Yeah. Even if it's only been fantasy up to this point, it's now yeah, yes, yeah, become manifest. But it's a metaphor, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Whatever. Whether it's re- you know whether it's real or not, it, it's real in the film. Isn't yes. It? It's true yeah. in the film. Yeah. What happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so did you rec- I was going to be like, do you recommend Birdman? <laughs> of course, you recommend Birdman. Ten <laughs> best film of the decade for you. Yeah. Okay. So my turn now. It's your turn. Okay. Indeed. So my tenth film of the decade is The Raid. Okay. Um, the Raid is an Indonesian film created by a Welsh writer director uh, who. Uh, it's not only a fellow countryman, a fellow countryman of me and Sam, and I guess you at this point because you've been here long enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he actually attended the same university that we all attended. He did. He? Not only that, he actually was taught by the same lecturers that uh, Sam and Eddie were yes. taught by. Fuck he was, me. and even they say yes. Terrible writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I brought that up first because. Um, as I explain the plot, uh, I fear audiences who are not familiar with the raid might fall asleep. So I'm just getting it out there. <laughs> okay. The writing is not, in a way like Birdman, the writing is not why this film is worth watching. The story is um, a police. He's like um, part of like a strike team or something. He's, yeah, he's like, like a SWAT. Team. Yeah, he's like yeah. a SWAT officer. Goes to this um, skyscraper where this drug uh, kingpin is residing, and they go in with the intention of arresting him. And he basically. The drug ping, kingpin locks down the building and says, "Like, right, anyone who like kills these officers is this not the film?" No, no, just pinking. Pinking, right? Just thinking pinking. It, right. was, it was how you, <laughs> no, because he, of where it's set as well. Yes, and also the oh, fact right. that it, it was also the fact that he he finally got kingpin out, but it was kingpin. <laughs> kingpin. <laughs> yeah, no, um, no, you were you were doing a, a, a stellar job. Of okay, all right, so yeah. So he locks down the building, yeah. and um, actually, yeah, if people have seen Dread, it's kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Where 
like the person in control of the building locks the building down and says right bring me yeah. like kill these people mm-hmm. basically and you will be rewarded yeah, it's so, a very simple plot isn't it's it it's a very simple plot yeah it's basically video game almost yeah, like it's survival ba- yeah mm. these people are trapped yeah. in a building and they need to reach the boss and defeat the boss in mm-hmm. order to escape the building and that's basically the film very quickly one thing that would support that mm-hmm. there is that one shot where um, Rama is that his yeah, name? yeah. Rama. Uh, when he's in the corridor with the baseball bat crew mm-hmm. I think yeah and there's that shot that's very clearly lo- like a video game like a third person video oh, game oh you mean the moment where like it transition, the camera's transitioning from cutscene to gameplay where it's sort of like holding as the character yeah it goes behind him yeah. as okay. he charges them and that's, that that always felt very do you think it's an intentional choice then because it's so. obviously very inspired by kung fu movies yeah um, I, think, I, what I think even the, the lecturer said that was a huge cool. inspiration I should actually have looked this up before uh, are you on the, the martial art the oh it's Piazzi something like that yeah yeah yeah. Do, I will do, look it up it will say just make sure we get the right yes yeah. <laughs> kind of martial art yes um, it is taking a long time to to, <laughs> to load that's a different uh, cover I didn't see that cover before what cover the cover uh, the poster oh yeah uh, it's called uh, pen, pe- either Penchak or Penkak or Pensak Silat ah okay Pensak Silat that yeah. is the reason the raid is worth watching it's not for the writing um, no it's not for have you said it's an Indonesian film I said it's Indonesian okay, yes right. uh, Indonesian Welsh director yeah but the film is in Indonesian it's a foreign language film mm-hmm. not uh, there is an English dub um, I don't think you need to seek out the English dub no um, <laughs> one because the writing is not worth experiencing and two because no um the, the 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 real dialogue of the film is just yes all that all that all that stuff yeah they keep sending off firecrackers don't they? yeah <laughs> yeah I, I yeah it's my favorite scene in the film uh, is when they all just stand in a room <laughs> they just start firecrackers yeah yeah um, why is it in your top ten oh the action absolutely the action I think it's um, I mean kung fu movies. I'm not too familiar with this mm. director obviously is and I assume a lot of inspiration was taken from kung fu movies but I think this specific style of martial art hasn't really been put to camera before no certainly not at this level yeah um, and it's a very people think of martial arts they think of like karate which is very defensive mm-hmm. like they think it was the karate kid that said you only use it as a, as a mm-hmm. defense you never attack whereas this is very attack orientated and mm-hmm. very violent this is a very um, gory movie at times isn't it yeah um, uh, yeah, the action is. is just like yeah it is yeah. <laughs> no the action is just incredibly well done and it's exhilarating and genuinely like yeah. you know it, it offers B-movie thrills doesn't it in yes, a sense of you're in it just for good kills yes basically and mm. there are many good kills and there are many it good kills it definitely fills its good kills quota yeah so I saw this film I think back when I was reading Empire Magazine mm. I saw a film called The Raid had been given five stars oh yeah do you, do you want do you want me to credit you with putting no, me no, onto no, this no 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 okay um, yes, he does. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I saw a, a foreign action film begin five stars. Is like, well, I'll check that out. Yeah. And of course, it was brilliant. Yeah. And I found myself at the time when I was watching it, when I became more acquainted with the choreography of the fights. Yeah. I would find myself standing in front of the TV, kind of like enacting the fights, <laughs> kind of like almost subconsciously. Oh bloody, that's impressive! If you were able to pull oh, yeah. off the moves, they're <laughs> pulling quite. off. Yeah. I think if I was He's doing been it, holding back on us, <laughs> I, I think at the very least I would be conscious if I was doing that. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like sort of watching and kind of moving with them. Yeah. You know, um, kind of like a mirror, almost sort of thing. But yeah, so I rewatched it for this. Mm. 
I always knew the writing was bad. Yes. But God, it's bad. Yes. The it dialogue is. is terrible. Yeah. And the story as well, it's very. Ba- like, if you've watched films, you could probably guess. Like, they try and do, like, a twist as yeah. to, like, the identity of somebody in the building. Mm. You're going to figure it out instantly. Pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. much straight away. His brother His is brother. like one of the, the bad main guys. character's brother. Yeah, the yeah. main character's brother. And you're Which, like, well, okay, yeah, of course. Given that one of the opening lines is, I'll bring him back or whatever. Exactly. It's like, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. well, I wonder, oh, yeah. he must know someone here. Mm. Yeah. Oh, look, he's got a brother. Well, that's fucking weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, um, the best thing about it, I would say, is Mad Dog. Who is the, I guess, uh, what would you call that type of person? Yeah, he's yeah. not the main bad guy, but he's sort of like the main fight almost of the film yeah that, that is kind yeah, of that's a, the one that the brothers take down together isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's kind of a trope this is what fight. I do this is what I do <laughs> yeah. he doesn't do that he, he never do that. does that but we've put that onto it Why after the fact because okay, that I'll is explain, I'll explain that in a sec now, yeah. Um, so yeah there's a trope in action films isn't there that you've got like the main bad guy who's like the bureaucratic one yeah. <laughs> who's kind of running everything from behind a, a desk yeah, yeah. yeah Hans Gruber and Die Hard you know and in, in all of its clones there's always the, the villain that is like the brains I suppose and then you've got the main thug yeah, yeah. Uh, the who's, one who's who, the main like physical threat yeah who the, who the villain w- the hero will fight just before they storm into the room and just shoot the guy behind the desk yes yeah yeah there'll always be a fight yeah. Mad Dog is that of this film yeah, yeah. And, and he's actually the choreographer isn't he he is yeah, yeah. Yayan Ruyan I think is his name okay Yayan was it Welsh oh yeah <laughs> that's weird he's not a Welsh man he's definitely not Welsh <laughs> well he's, no, he's not okay. there's a moment in the film where he and the SWAT commander who is Rama's superior have a fight mm-hmm. and in that scene it's like the typical uh, badass thing mm-hmm. he puts down his gun he's like no we're gonna do we're gonna have this mano a mano yeah, yeah. We're, gonna ha- we're gonna fist fight it yeah, that's a trope of the of the genre. Yeah. But there's a moment where he's like, he's holding up his hands and he says, you know, this is the thing. Yeah. This is where the energy flows. And I made a joke at the time where oh, like, he yeah, kind of okay. goes with his hands, this is what I do. Right? <laughs> and that that is just canon now to us. Yeah. But he doesn't do that at all. <laughs> no. Well, I, mean, I was going to, I was, I, was, I yeah, did he it. He definitely and I was, doesn't. I no, watched no. it this morning. <laughs> that's the thing. I, I, was, you, I just did it on the. Oh, now on yeah, the podcast yeah. and I was going to be like and that's an example of the terrible writing yeah one of my problems with the film is that the main villain as in you know the actual head, I don't remember him at all no they, the, the film really tries to make you think he's like a cool badass villain and I hate that I hate when I see that a film is trying to make me think or feel something mm. you know what I mean yeah. Yeah. it's trying too hard there's a scene in the beginning of the film where he's just executing, summarily executing traitors, just you know, people in the building that have angered him. Yes. Because mm. uh, essentially it's a sky rise full of criminals, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, where they get to kind of stay and pay him rent. Yes. Yeah. So he's just shooting them all in the back of the head as they crouch down in front of him. Yeah. And then he runs out of bullets and he walks over to his desk and he pulls out a drawer and you see a bundle of bullets mm. and a hammer. And that's it. That's all in the drawer. And he picks up the hammer, and he kind of looks almost at the camera. And goes, "Now, where were we?" Right. And then walks slowly back over to the guy on the floor, swings, we cut. And it's like, stop making me think. Like, Ooh, he's a bad guy. Yeah. Stop trying so hard. You don't have to do that. You know. Yeah. I knew he was the bad guy in the first <laughs> yeah. place. Yeah. You know. And Mad Dog, considering that he is really the badass film of the film. Yeah. It's surprising that they don't try hard to make you no because he doesn't yeah um, 
not slagging off the guy who plays him or anything, but he doesn't yeah. look like a badass, does he? No, no, he's got like he's, this, a, he's a little mousey. Yeah, guy. he's like this tiny guy. He's got like this long ponytail, and he kind of he doesn't look like you know. Oh, he's not like buff. He's not like oh cool. No, no. Uh, you know, imposing villain. Yeah. Quite the opposite. He's quite a yeah. small figure. But know? to quote, I think it's the commander. Uh, when he's giving them like the brief in the beginning, like right, this is the main bad guy. Yeah. This is the brains of the operation, and this is the the badass of the operation. Okay. And they call him a maniac of feet and fists. Right. <laughs> <laughs> kind of sums him up. Really. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I wish about that. Um, but yeah. that is an example, a rare example of half decent. Yes. Because <laughs> the film is dread. It's the the writing is fucking atrocious. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't defend it on that front. But. Yeah. As I said, that's not what you no, watch. No, you don't. You for. don't watch it for that at all. No, no, you watch it for childish thrills. I think I don't yes. say childish in a uh, demeaning way. No, no, but you, I mean that's right. what you, that's what you're in for. You know, you're <laughs> yeah. in the puerile, like oh, like that boyish thing of like oh, this is fucking cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. And it gets the adrenaline pumping. It does, and it's by the end because it's builds in intensity constantly throughout the film, and by the yeah. end, that final fight with Mad Dog and the two brothers. Yeah, you genuinely. I feel like anyway that you're genuinely like. I want this guy to die. I got. I got. I think that I mean, the music does a lot of that work because, yeah. as we've said, the writing is not good. No. no. Um, and there is something just kind of like almost in the, in the DNA of action movies that they are cathartic without you having to invest anything in them. Yes, that's sort of part of their appeal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the music by Mike Shinoda. Who, I say, yeah, course, yeah. You, I would say. Have you listened to the version of the film which doesn't have that score in though? No. So the the actual like yes. obviously Indonesian film doesn't have that score. That's for American and UK like international movie. release. Yeah. yeah. Um, What's the original score like? I, I that's why I, I didn't know if you'd seen it or not. Oh, okay. I, I don't know what it's like. Oh, I but, see. Okay. Um, um, yeah. yeah. That yeah the score, um, the song uh, which has got uh, Chino from Deftones. And yeah. That all t- that all works. Is Wonders that raises out, raises out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good song. Yeah, just yeah, in the its score, own right. The score elevates it. Yeah. Unlike yeah. with that final fight with Mad Dog, which probably would have been cathartic anyway. Yeah, but yeah, just the the, the it's ratcheting up the tension bit by bit. And yes, yeah. like this guy has to die. Yeah, please, yeah. please, please. Yeah. yeah. But just to give an example of the sort of the 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 the, the fun, the childish fun yeah. that, that you're in for, uh, there's like a scene set in a corridor where. Uh, our main character Rama like pushes a guy through a door yeah. and then he like grabs another guy sort of like jumps up in the air and like impales him neck first on the debris that's left behind by the door yeah that's the sort of like level we're at when yeah. we're talking about the, yeah like, innovative kills yeah. oh yeah. yeah yeah they're very like that's what I like about the film as well is that it's not lazy with the way it, no. ways it kills people yeah yeah. We were talking about this. I wonder whether the fight scene, how scripted the fight scenes were, yeah. or whether it was there's a fight now and then they. You just mean in the actual it. script? Yeah. When in the actual script, script, there yeah. is fight, yeah. and then plot happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, based on the rest of the script, it could just say there is fight. There, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, there is fight now. He should stick to just directing. Mm. I think <laughs> I don't think he should be writing scripts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't seen what's the like uh, the film he did most recently. Is it Apostle? Uh, Apostle, yeah. I haven't seen that. Did he write that or did he? Yeah, he did. Well, it's much much better written than The Raid. Yeah, because that is not an action film. That is a horror film? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Uh, It's sort of taking its cue from like The the Wicker Man. Ah, right, okay. Um, It's very derivative. But yeah, the dialogue is better because you can afford to do that kind of it's all Bible talk and you know. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that sounds dull to me. <laughs> oh no, yeah, like that proper preacher like 
salutations, like all you know, those sorts of words. Yeah, yeah. That can right. allow you to sort of be very colourful, mm. but it's not very good. Okay. Um, Shock. Yeah. Yeah. But the, yeah, like in terms of the the, the corrupt cop. Well, it, it's it's the old white guy. Yeah. What a shock that was. Yeah. Yeah. The That's quite guy. funny. There's a fight. The only white guy in the film? He's not white. Well, the only, like, <laughs> the closest to a white guy, but he's, like, yeah. he stands out from the rest of the He does stand out, because yeah. yeah. he has white hair, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a fight scene in, like, oh, yeah. the drug <laughs> manufacturing room. Yeah. yeah. And, like, Rama's being, you know, being Rama. Yeah. And just, the, like, not kind of food, whatever, you know. Uh, just flipping and flipping like kicking and kicking and, yeah, and yeah, grappling yeah. yeah. I mean, just, the camera like flips over to him and he's just like he's grappled onto a guy and he's just like banging his back <laughs> <laughs> any grace whatsoever yeah uh, um, so yeah. he was an actor he was someone that they hired to oh, okay. act well, no like it would have been wouldn't it you don't hire that guy for his no no you don't um, yeah. it's all yes yeah, so the people they hired to act like the main villain and him they're the worst parts of the film. The, mm. the non-actors yeah. end up being the best. Because yeah. Iga Uwai said, I don't think he'd acted... I think he's in Maranta, which is Gareth Evans' first film. Yes. But he had he was a postman, and then he just yeah. did the raid. Right. He's, like, pretty good. Oh, yeah. He's, he's not bad. Well, I suppose you need to look to the raid, too, to see whether he's actually a good actor or not. Yeah. Don't you? Which I do want to touch on briefly, yeah. if you have uh, more to say about the first one or not. I, I have a few more points. Okay. I've got here that it's it's reassuring in the sense of exactly what one expects to happen does. Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of got that sort of a childlike fairy tale quality of, you know, it's going to be happy happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, pretty much there are no surprises in the raid. No. Are there? It, there are moments that where it wants to be a surprise. Yes. But it never is. No, it's no. not. And no. It's, you know, it's fine. Yeah, but it's, yeah, but it's like the a prime example is he's stabbing through the wall. You know that they're not going to kill Rama. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll injure him. Yeah. But we're not going to kill him because. No. When they do that, they they put the machete through the wall and it kind of slices across his face. Yeah. And then he kind of puts his glove over it so that when they withdraw it, it kind of wipes the blood off. Yeah. I call bullshit on that. Okay. Because it's complete. The blade's completely clean. If you just did that, yeah, and machete, it would just smear it. It wouldn't wipe it off. Or would it? It would slice through his glove as well. Wouldn't it? Oh, like, yeah, just ah! yeah, exactly. <laughs> you'd, you'd at least have just like fabric wrapped around yeah. the yeah. machete or something. Yeah, I know it's strange credulity, but it has to have some internal logic. No, yeah. no of course, yeah. yeah, because it's not a. Um, like all of these all of this impressive shit they're doing it's not supposed to be like an elevated no no this is like very real this is happening yeah. they are actually yeah. performing these like feats yeah it's not a superhero so like when he there's a moment where he, he tackles a guy out of a window and they fall like three or four stories yeah mm -hmm. and then he lands on the guy on a um, not, well a balcony I guess yeah and he goes back in and there's like a few minutes where he's just wandering Dazed, kind of recovering from it. So yeah. there is like a, a, a natural reality to it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and my final little critique, okay, is in that final fight, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. They cut away to advance the plot elsewhere. Yes. And they shouldn't do that. No, no, no. I they think should have played that as one. In a film like thing. this, it's a cardinal. Unless you're cutting between fights, that is a cardinal sin. I think cutting away from yes. the fight scene. But the reason I wanted to bring up the raid too is because I think another thing that works for the raid 
we complained about the writing and no. the characterization and the plotting mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. That stuff isn't really a big feature of the raid, I no. would say. No. It's 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 sort of like the brief moments in between the action as opposed to the other way around. Mm. The raid two, not the case. No. They try to do like a like a gangster style film where like Godfather. Ram, yeah, Godfather yeah. where Rama sort of like befriends a criminal uh, I don't know what he is. Is he's not a crime boss, is he? He's the son of a crime boss. He's the son of a crime boss. Yeah. He's the son of a crime boss. Yeah. He uh, befriends him in prison. And then he gets out, and it's the typical like mm. up and coming through the ranks story. Yeah. But here's the thing: I didn't know initially whether the raid or the raid two was going to appear on my top ten. You were very vocal about it not being the raid two. Yeah. Because um, the problems we have in the story and the writing of the raid one still stand in the raid two. Magnified. Magnified by the fact that this is a this is trying to have a plot and yeah. it's trying to characterize him and it's trying yeah. to like. But as long. And it is long. It's a longer film. How much, the raid is like an hour and a half or something. If that, yeah. Yeah. Whereas the raid two is a couple of hours. But as we've discussed through this, you go to the raid for its fight sequences. Mm-hmm. I think there are better fight sequences in the second film than there are in the first. See, this is the thing. I I do disagree. Okay. Partly because there's so much in between them, it detracts from. I care less when they happen in the raid two. Okay. Whereas with the raid, it's such a ratcheting up. Mm. That by the time it comes, like I think the fight with Mad Dog, is the apex of both films. It doesn't get better than the fight with. Mad well, Dog. Well, it only has um, one fight seen as competition. Yeah, definitely. Yes, but I think uh, yeah. So maybe the choreography of the latter fight scene surpasses the first one. Yeah, in ways. But the fact that you really want Mad Dog to like die yeah you hate that character yes you, know? mm. I, you don't feel that way about the guy in the second one because he is just like another one really he's he, not oh, oh, of the three generals I guess he's yeah. definitely the one they focused on the least which is odd considering I don't know whether the fight scene was supposed it's the kitchen fight scene if people yeah, know yeah. what we're on about um, I don't know whether that was to compensate for the fact that he has the least to do because the other two generals mm. are the girl with hammers and the guy with the baseball bat yeah. and the ball um, and because they're brother and sister, yeah. I think they spend a lot of time together. So you kind of get to know them a little bit, um, as much as you can, considering yeah. those characters never really talk. Um, but I, yeah, I, the the other thing that the Raid Two does is it treats it more like um, I don't know how to describe it. Like the first raids, they're just sort of people in the apartment building, and yeah. they 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 themselves are not characters. It's just sort of like you know. Oh, these people are on this floor and they have machetes. Oh, these people are on this floor and they they fight with their fists. Oh, they use yeah. kitchen utensils. Whatever. Whereas in the Ray Two, there are like set characters almost. This girl fights with hammers. This guy fights with a bat. This yeah. guy fights with those I like weird think blades. In the first raid, you really needed anything more though. You knew it was a bad building. You knew yeah. it was full of people. Yeah. He had the control over all of them. Yes. You didn't really need. I think the Ray Two is trying to be quite comic booky. I would definitely say that. I heard someone yeah. describe it as an anime. I yeah. kind of get that impression. Yeah, so definitely. you come up with those characters who kind of are characters because of what they wear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. their aesthetic yeah. is the character. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, yeah, I think that there are... I would say that like the, the, the worst fight scenes in the Raid 2 are worse than the worst fight scenes in the first Raid. Right. But, I mean, you've got... The, you've got that fight scene in the kitchen which is great you've got the car chase sequence which is great mm-hmm. like I personally love the, the prison sequence where they're fighting right. in the mud I think that's really great mm-hmm. but it's just yeah I just think there's so many good fight sequences from the Raid 2 okay. 
I suppose I ultimately went with the Raid 1 because, yes, you need to look at them as a film. Yeah. And I would sooner watch a compilation of the Raid 2's fight sequences than watch the Raid 2 in its entirety. Yes, because you, you have to put up with a lot between those yeah. fight scenes. Yeah, and that's the problem. Is Yeah, as you say, the Raid is a constant ratcheting attention, whereas the Raid 2, there are, like, uh, breaks in between the action where, like, okay, now the plot and the characters are happening. Yeah, it's like, if you go into a horror film and, like, you know... you you want to be terrified yeah mm. the general format isn't it is that you get a jump and then you get some time yeah where you're kind of relaxing and they're filling yeah. in the plot mm. and then there's another jump and you you put up with that because yeah you can't just have jump 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 no, no yeah in the raid you're in it for the action yeah and so the stuff that bridges those action scenes need to be as quick and as uh, expedient as possible yes Whereas in the raid two, like I said, it's trying to do a bit of a Godfather, yeah, and tell an epic crime story, Indonesian crime story, uh, and but that requires dialogue, unfortunately. It does. And Gareth Evans shouldn't be doing dialogue; <laughs> right? should be just directing it. Yeah. It also, um, we're just slagging off the raid two now, but it also <laughs> no, we're just slagging off Gareth Evans. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was going to say um, it recasts Mad Dog as a different character in the raid two. It does because spoilers, they do kill him in the raid one, but <laughs> you knew that already. Yeah, um, and yeah, he's just a different guy, and I don't really know. But it's the same guy. It's the same yeah. actor, but he's playing a different character. A homeless man. He's a homeless man. I don't really know what That's function bullshit. he serves in the story. That is the most disposable fight scene yeah. it doesn't advance anything it feels like a like a, we can't bring back we can't bring back that character because he's dead but we have to include we want yeah. to include that actor again yeah because he is he probably was choreographer for the second one as well yeah and with yeah. the exception of Rama he's probably the best fighter that they have I would say he's probably the best fighter they have okay I would right. say he's superior to yeah, yeah, yeah. but he doesn't look like a leading man no, so no he, he can't doesn't be... no he doesn't um, yeah also odd thinking about it that the brother sister fight isn't the final fight in the raid 2 considering the raid ends with the two brothers fighting mad dog it is though uh, no 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 you, ha- you have the kitchen fight and then he fights them in the corridor outside the bad guy's lair if you will are you sure yeah because that's it's where... not the other way around no no because that's where he takes her glasses off because she wears sunglasses through the whole film and you oh. see what's beneath them okay I really thought he fights those two and then it's the kitchen because the kitchen fight is so like it's the fight sequence right. of that film uh, it's the one that it's considered like the climax of the film yeah but I think yes the brother sister is next okay but it doesn't match the no okay uh, the the kitchen fight okay fair so that's the raid so my number 10 of the decade is Skyfall okay right so the plot of Skyfall James Bond is shot and presumed dead what's new Um, and then an unknown terrorist launches an attack against MI6 targeting M in particular and Bond sees this on the news and decides to come out of death to lend his assistance that's the basic setup I would say it is yeah right so yeah I think one of the things that we should say about these lists is that it's our favourite ten of the decade oh yeah we're not being we're being a little objective in the sense that we yeah. also think these are good films in and of their own right. Yes. But yeah, we're favouring films we prefer over films that we consider to be... Yeah, so Skyfall beats out many, many better films. Okay. But it would be lying not to put this as number 10. Okay. Uh, okay, so I'm a lifelong Bond fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you the same? Yeah. I followed it through its peaks and troughs. <laughs> Uh, and well Daniel Craig the whole franchise has been peaks and troughs really his, <laughs> his whole uh, stint 
I don't know what way to come at it really. Because I've, I've basically we've just got bullet points. Is for it each the best Bond film? Yes. Okay. Yeah. How, by what margin? By what margin? Yeah. I well, I don't. I mean, it's. Have I just asked the question incorrectly? Uh, like, <laughs> like, how much better is it than most Bond films? For me, it finally overtook an old Bond film as the best Bond film. That Bond film being On a Majesty's Secret Service. I have not seen it. Do you concur? That's that is generally considered up there. I think the one that's broadly considered the best is From Russia with Love. Okay. Which is quintessential classic Bond. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which Bond um, is that? Connery. Uh, yeah. Ah, right. Okay. Um, it's the you know, he's in Russia. It's the KGB. It's Smirsch. It's the Bond film yep. of the Cold War. Yeah. But yeah, Skyfall. Obviously, it came out in 2012, which was the 50th anniversary. And the film kind of... It's a celebration of the franchise, as well as being its own film. Yeah, the first time the DB5 had been back in a couple of films. Yeah, it kind of put all the the, the tropes in there. I do think Daniel Craig is the best Bond. I think he's better than Connery, who is generally considered uh, the best. Uh, The song is great. It is. It It is a good song. Um, Is it the best Craig song? No, because obviously it's no, called, You it, Know My Name is Yeah, I think... For me, You Know My Name is the best. It's the yeah. best song. Skyfall is arguably the best Bond song, in the yeah. commas. Mm. The most traditional Bond song. Yeah. yeah. Um, you Know My Name is a rock song, basically, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, yeah. Yes, it was a song uh, Chris Cornell already had. Yes. And they adapted it yeah. Yeah, to make it work. The only problem with the song is... I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast. You did, yeah. Uh, she rhymes Skyfall with Crumble, and that's too do- dodgy for my liking. <laughs> Skyfall, watch it crumble. Yeah. No, you can't do that. Um, the cinematography is... Uh, <laughs> Not so many people perfect. usually say this. The camera angles. <laughs> the camera angles. The angles. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I mean, Roger Deakins is the best living cinematographer. Yes, he may crop up again he on will, our lists. He will crop up again Who knows? Lists, yeah. Uh, and that year he lost the Oscar to Life of Pi <laughs> which That's is horrific which is horrific yeah um, yeah it's I really like Casino Royale but that is more of a Born film than a Bond film yeah I would say yeah that's whereas fair. Skyfall does feel like well it feels like Bond I'm not saying Casino Royale didn't but they were clearly influenced by Paul yes. Greengrass yes yeah whereas you don't really feel that in Skyfall no, 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 no. Um, but I think Sam Mendes is a great director as well. Director yeah. of American Beauty, which is one of my favourite films. Spectre. Yeah, I know. It's a nicely directed film, to be fair. Yes, it's, and it's... it's Is it Hoyt Van Hoytma did the cinematography? Yeah, it it's is, a very good-looking film as well. Yeah. It's just a horrific story. But yeah, it's, it's a terrible look, look what it's in service to, exactly. Um, they, 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 say, how many writers did they have for Spectre in the end? Oh, like 20. Oh, yeah. Some, something stupid. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, there was like a... I think it holds the Guinness World Record for the largest practical explosion on film. <laughs> and you just... Yeah, it's like... Oh, but look what it is. Though. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's not um, great. Yeah, so the Bond series... We've, in a previous podcast, we've talked about how like they they do the same thing of like he walks away but then he comes back but then he leaves and then he comes back you know Hmm. and they never commit to the idea another thing they do is they keep dealing with the idea of obsolescence Hmm. the secret agents just in general are outdated you know technology is now filling that role Um, and I think Skyfall is the best at dealing with it of any it feels like the um sort of the end points of that theme in Bond yeah. doesn't it yeah yeah but like M called Bond a misogynist dinosaur in 1995 right 
we get that he's obsolete. Yeah. That's sort of part of the package, you know what I mean? Um, but I like that in Skyfall, he, you can see the wear and tear on Craig's face. Yeah, which yeah. you don't see in Spectre, do you? No. And I was I was interested uh, before Spectre came out to see how they would handle it because he looks, especially compared to Casino Royale, which was only like six years before. Yeah, he looks so much older. In Spectre, he does in like, it, when he just comes out of death and they're training him up again. Yeah, he just looks haggard and just yeah. really kind of. You can, yeah, you can tell yeah. he's yeah. like struggling, and that, that's one of the things I really like about it is that you know Bond is sort of. Um, a Gary Stew by design almost he's supposed to be like a male fantasy character mm-hmm. but they just like penetrate that veneer in this mm-hmm. film he's like really struggling at the beginning and kind yeah. of throughout the film as well he's always kind of making like little mistakes like when he's um, he's pursuing the assassin in Shanghai yeah and he's like grabbing onto the elevator mm. and he's like slipping mm-hmm. and just yeah it's like an, it's, it's not enough that he doesn't feel like James Bond anymore but yeah. he feels vulnerable yeah and the whole thing of uh, his aim has gone that's another recurring yeah. idea as yeah. well. Yeah, uh, it's the best written Bond film, I would say. Yes, um, certainly of the new. I was yeah. surprised yeah. when you told me that it's basically the same writers for all of them. Yeah, it's really strange. Yeah, yeah. Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, I think, at least since Tomorrow Never Dies or The World's Not. Yeah, they've written all the Bond films. Okay. Yes. Um, and but it's then numerous people come in and tweak them afterwards. Yeah. Oh yeah, I imagine. So. Yeah. But this just who was it? Was it John Logan with Skyfall? Was he the third writer? I think he's a good jobbing kind of guy. Yeah, I think to, so. Yeah. Well, because yeah. I know Jez Butterworth came in. Yeah. Um, to Skyfall mm-hmm. and did some tweaks, and yeah. I was like, okay, fair enough. I, um, oh, Skyfall. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he came into Skyfall. I was like, okay. I like Jez Butterworth yeah. as a playwright. Um, he's pro- pro- I think I own all of his plays. He was, okay. He's probably the playwright I follow the most now yeah okay and then they also brought him back in for Spectre yeah he was credited for Spectre and, yeah he's credited yeah. for Spectre and it's horrific <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just surprising given how this is it's not a comedy Skyfall but no. it's got a very nice sense of humour it's almost got like right. a very cheeky sense of humour mm-hmm. where it's still it's mostly kind of like a straight drama and it's like you know it's that typical bond of like it's sort of like you know it's just cloaked in like dapperness and mm-hmm. like suave but it, there are moments where the characters are like cheeky with each other and there's a bit of banter there's yeah. um, the my favourite scene in the film or what's become my favourite scene in the film because it wasn't originally the case but it's when he first meets Q who's played by Ben Whishaw right um, and they're discussing the art in the art gallery mm-hmm. and Ben Whishaw sort of gives this little sort of um, almost prepared speech about like this painting it's like oh this this warship being towed off to mm-hmm. for scrap and it makes me feel this and that and that what does it make you feel Bond and Bond just goes it's a bloody big ship yeah that, that's what I mean by it's it's the best written I think yeah you know, those sorts mm. of moments little character revealing moments you know the psychoanalysis scene being another example yeah, yeah. day wasted you know, yeah. that sort of stuff yeah. and then you compare that to Spectre where he's like oh I'm Mickey Mouse yeah fucking like terrible what's going on there yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say I think like the introduction of Ben Whishaw particularly I think was quite fresh because Q had always been um, oh, I can't remember his name now uh, Desmond Llewellyn yeah he'd yeah. done basically all of them yeah. minus the brief John, John Cleese, Cleese. Yeah. <laughs> one film I think yeah yeah. again it feels like a kind of mission statement of like I think what he gives him a a tracker he, and a, a, a radio and a gun a radio and a gun yeah. and it's like yeah we're not doing the invisible car yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're not doing that anymore it goes a bit deeper you know the, and the, the dialogue's a bit crisper like yeah. again in the scene with Q Q says something to him like age is no guarantee of not wisdom 
He doesn't say wisdom, but it's something like that. Exper- yeah, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, youth, there's no guarantee of innovation. Nation. Good. That's good dialogue. Yeah. You know? Like, in one scene, you've got those characters, you've yeah. got their relationship. It's so efficient while also not showing the scenes of what it's doing. Yeah. You know? And there's that, where, the moment where M reads the poem uh, in her um, trial. You yeah. Know? Again, it's like a Bond film with a poet. This isn't advancing the story. Yeah, yeah. It's Chris, because I think the poem is about, like, um, old reliable things basically and yes. like a force for good and it's like oh okay they, they it, there is a more auteurist lens that's being filtered through yeah. yeah and it doesn't have a Bond girl to the same level no M is a is effectively the Bond girl yes, yes. Judy Dench uh, yeah. her final performance as M yeah uh, is it her finest yeah. as M yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. I mean granted she has things to do in this film yes. but you know it's, it's yeah. still a very good turn by Judy Dench as well yeah I think Bath nominated yes um, yeah and Sorry, go, go on. on. Uh, the talking about the auteurist stuff. There's the fight in Neon uh, when he's fighting the Hitman. Oh yes, um, and the camera's just tracking in. Again, it's like we're not used to that sort of stuff. Bond is yeah. very paid by numbers. Mm. Get it done. Yeah, there's not much artistry. Am I right in saying that uh, an intention of that scene is because they're silhouetted by the Neon? You're not supposed to know which one is Bond. So it's I think a, so. So yeah. it's like a tension building exercise because you don't know how well he's doing in the fight. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But it's yeah. also just a cool set piece. Of like, oh yeah, because they're being illuminated by uh, when when they're hitting each other and they're accidentally firing off. Yes, the you see like snippets sni- mm, yeah. of their faces. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the lighting as well in general. It's be- like London, despite being all like drab and grey in this mm. film, even London looks beautiful. The yeah. way that it's shot. I was to say the island that. Silver's Island where they go. Get- what is that island called? Because that's I- a real place. Right? It, it, it is, is a real, yeah, it's a real place. Island, yeah. um, I couldn't tell you what it's called, but. Oh my god, that was beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah. It's sort of. I mean, the film kind of just covers the color spectrum in in, in a similar way that Blade Runner twenty forty nine does. Yes, yeah. You get a bit of you get London, you mm. get that island, yeah. You get the Highlands where it's yeah. just all lit by the fire, the house on fire. That's great. That's amazing. You yeah. get yeah. Shanghai, all neon and yeah. skyscrapers. It's a very rich visual film. You know? It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's very like I think that helps with like the um, analog, like acousticness of the film. Yeah. Because it's, um, I mean, films have started going in that direction now, like Mission Impossible Four in after Rogue Nation, mm-hmm. which was very like digital from what I remember. Yeah. Obviously, Fallout went in a more like. Um, I, I'm going to use the word analog. I hope that yeah, you both yeah. know what I mean by yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it, instead of him getting like messages and there being holograms, he's like getting packages again, yeah. and he's going to like a record store. Oh, that was in five, was it? Like, oh, I don't, I don't. Doesn't know. matter. Um, yeah, it's physical. Yeah, it feels yeah. very physical, and it's nice that a film managed to um, in a time where in cinema where action films were very like digital. Mm-hmm. It's nice that it, they managed to make like a very tangible analog feeling earthy film. Yeah. Earthy film. Yeah. And it made they made it make sense in the script as well. Like at the end when Bond sort of quote unquote abducts M and takes mm. her to the Scottish Highlands, there's a reason why they're not using like the resources of MI six and yeah. to fight him and stuff. And of course like that that theme of uh, at the end of the day you've got to rely on just, you know, sweat and yeah, yeah, physicality and like yeah, the, it's justified by the narrative, which is we're going to a place where we have to straw dogs the house. Exactly. Yeah, it's all going to be Home Alone star booby traps. Because um, yeah, we can't. The villain is master of you know the yeah. digital sphere, so we are going to go back to basics. 
It's great. It, it plays out thematically and narratively. I, I'd have loved yeah. it if the film just slipped in a little Home Alone reference in the, in the score. <laughs> it's just the score starts playing Home Alone. Nah, you just have Macaulay Culkin walk through the background <laughs> in one shot. Yeah, or it's like a picture of him up on the wall or something. <laughs> never explained it. Um, the yeah, the technical aspects of the film are great. There is one weak point though for me, and that is the CG animals. Oh yeah, which never looked good. No, but no, obviously as time no. is going on, they're aging worse as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The small pieces of the film, but considering just as we've discussed, like how real the film feels and how like you can touch yeah. it, so, so it does take you out. The of hardest it. thing for me is uh, the tube going through. Like it's completely and utterly believable that that could happen in our day and age, particularly with. Mm. Digital. Like, Have you got like a problem cyber. with the fact that it happens, or or the way that it's, it it's happens? just the, it's the way it looks for me. Okay, because okay. I think that's real. Like I think that's well, it's a, it, um, it's a miniature. Yeah. miniature. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, there's just something about it when I rewatched it okay. for this that I was like, ah, oh, that doesn't quite live up to. You got to be careful with miniatures. You do. There's it's that, the same in Batman Begins. I was about to bring yeah. that up when like the, he goes over the car and yeah. then he sort of like it pushes him back. And yeah. it looks like bad CG, but it's a miniature. You they can, just haven't got the. You can tell, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the same in Batman Begins, where the monorail kind of goes off. The yeah, tracks. yeah, yeah. The physics uh, are not quite right. So yeah, you can yeah. Tell, you know. But I, I much prefer that than CGI. Even good CGI, I prefer. Yeah, 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 I yeah, prefer yeah. a clunky miniature than a yeah. good. Than good I suppose CGI. you'd you'd be able to tell if it was like a puppet scorpion or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. But it does. Unless I'm mistaken as well, I think at the moment when they're on the island and the helicopters come, I think the helicopters. Oh are yeah, CGI they're not real. Well. Yeah. yeah, they're not real. Uh, yeah, you can tell, and yeah, it, it does stand out. Yeah. Um, right, Bardem. Yes, we put it, it off until now. Yeah. Uh, is a sublime villain. Yes. Yeah. Uh, One of the finer performances of the decade, I think. Okay. Um, right. Bold. Well, I, I know, I know. I, yeah. I think, I think that's completely fair. <laughs> okay. And Sugar was last decade, so yes. I can say that. Yeah. He's um, good at being villains, isn't he? He's very good at being villains. Yeah. He's got such a weird, like, cause he's very camp. Yes, but he's uh, gay. Uh, he is gay, but yeah. obviously he brings that campness to it, and just like the little like ticks he has. Yeah, I say um, when he's talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. things like there that. is a brilliance to the way he plays Silver. I love. Oh how, yeah, I love how when um, spoiler alert, he dies as Bond villains tend to do. Mm. Uh, when he gets stabbed in the back by James Bond, he looks almost disappointed in him. Well, he di- he directs like a gasp of pain at him as like a fuck you. He yeah, goes, ah. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like how dare you do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's great. I yeah. know. I love they kind of Bond's sexuality is kind of uh, they've played with it a few times but I love that little line about um, what makes you think it's my first time yeah, yeah. Oh, Mr Bond yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's just, just sat there like well, spreads the legs and yeah yeah just, that's, that's, of course Bond would be of yeah, course yeah. he'd be like um, well pan, no pan, bisexual I guess yeah yeah do you know what I mean like it would want to get the job done that's what I mean yeah, about like yeah. the cheekiness of it because it doesn't subtract from the tension of the scene because that's the scene where he's introduced yeah yeah and that's that brilliant monologue where it's just one shot of him coming out the elevator and again alterial it feels yeah, yeah. exactly it's I think he's the good. first I guess would you say explicitly gay you would know more than me I don't know no in terms of would you say that character is explicitly gay because he, he, he never outright you know it's never said he's never shown with a man but no. it's clear yes through, through that that's what he is what do you, you mean know? most like explicitly gay ever or no no <laughs> first realm? explicitly gay Bond villain but there's not because I'm remembering there, there are two from Diamonds Are Forever okay called Winton Kid yeah. they're gay and with each other they're gay with each other and but that's done I think there's one scene where they're walking away 
after having killed someone and they start they hold hands oh okay alright because <laughs> that film came out I think 71 okay. and when they do it there's a lot of music here that goes do 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 alright like it's almost it's almost like a play there's like a they're more evil they're more evil Oh, they've, have you seen Diamonds Are Forever? Uh, no, I don't. Their know. death oh, scene, should. yeah, their death scene's like I can't. One set on fire, mm. and he falls off. Oh, maybe I have. And I've definitely shown you this. And he gets the other one, and Bond kind of like pulls his arms between his legs, yeah, like pins a bomb to his coattails, and like flips him off the boat. I think and I he blows have seen it. Yeah, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like we talked about this before, the ex agents make good Bond villains because they're what Bond could have been. Yes, if he'd taken made some wrong choices. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, I think this is the best version of that. Yep, yeah. I love the whole mummy dearest thing that Bardem's got going with M. Yeah, this disturbing mother relationship. Yeah, he calls her mother, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. Look on your work, mother. Yeah, it's oh, so good. It's so good. <laughs> and yeah, Bond also has kind of a maternal yes relationship with M. Yeah, um, and but it's kind of a bastard version with Bardem, you know. Yes. And I guess playing off this idea that M, the handler of these agents, it's it's mentioned in I don't know which film that, that you know these are orphans. They're always kind of like angry young people mm. that are then given a home with. And it's that idea, isn't it? She she is, is their mother essentially. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. M. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't. That's obviously not to the brick. No, no, no it's, it's before, yeah, that's a, from their name. That's a nice, um, yeah, little idea. Yeah. Uh, right. Let me think. Right, yeah. So I've got it's kind of just a little a little point. When Bond jumps on the tube in pursuit of Silver, and he gets in the car, there's a dude that's like that's got his back to the camera that really looks like Anton Chigurh from behind, and it distracts me every time I see that. Film. Okay. I think, oh, is it like a little reference? Have mm. you seen No Country for Old Men? Uh, I think I haven't seen all of it. Okay, so, no. so Bardem is. <laughs> no, 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 I'm trying to think. No, I trust, you, I trust yeah. you've seen it, yeah. Bardem is the villain, obviously. In that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he has the iconic kind of bob of black hair. Yeah. And a lot of the film spends its time behind him as he kind of just menacingly walks yes. up. And it, just, it looks so much like him from behind, it always distracts me. Um, I do want to briefly to return to the humour. There's a moment where yeah. he jumps on the tube and there's like an old couple who's waiting for the tube. And they yeah. see Bond like grab onto the train, and then he obviously the train goes into the tunnel, and the old guy's like, "Oh, he's eager to get home." He's eager to get home. Yeah, that's a comedic beat that I think is too broad for Skyfall, based on the humor that comes before it. Yeah, I would yeah. concur. It stands out. It feels more like something that would show up in Spectre. Okay. The film is kind of self-aware. Obviously, we talk about all all this fiftieth anniversary uh, winks, but there's a moment when M gets in his car. And he kind of like flips up the the eject button. Yeah. She's like, "Oh, go on then, eject me." She's yeah. Like, How do you know about that? Yeah. So in my mind, it's almost like every Bond film has happened between Quantum of Solace and Skyfall. Oh, okay, interesting. Do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. a way of thinking about it. That he's been James Bond yeah. with all of James Bond's iconic th- moments. Yes. And this is the end, essentially, of that. Okay. Mm. With her death, you know. Yeah. I have my own little head cannon as well. In regards to Skyfall, oh, is it? the first time we um, watched it in the cinema, mm. uh, a friend of ours, because you have Bond gets shot off the bridge and he falls into water, mm-hmm. and then it's like a fade out and a fade back in, and then you have the opening title sequence, yeah. which starts in water, mm-hmm. uh, and you have a moment where like the giant hand like grabs Bond's foot and sort of pulls him down into yeah. the depths, and then the visuals kind of kick in proper. Yeah, and our friend was like, I thought that actually happened. 
<laughs> for a moment I thought that he, there's actually a giant I was like what's going on okay so that's my headcanon is that um, a giant hand did indeed pull bound into the depths and Skyfall was just like a dream a dying dream a dying dream yeah as he drowns yeah Spectre is uh, brain death that's the moment <laughs> okay is. yeah yeah it remains to be seen whether No Time to Die is heaven or hell whether we, whether we end up in yeah we'll hell. see but yeah so yeah that's right. my little we're ending up in one of the two that's for sure mm. uh, right so for each of each film I've got on this list I've tried to include at least one critique okay so I'm not just licking the arse yep okay. of these films so my critiques for Skyfall yeah the plot uh, after a certain point makes no sense no but it's a James Bond film I don't really care no yeah uh, So that, but that's one thing this has been flagged up elsewhere obviously but the sex scene or the the preamble to a sex scene with uh, Severine yes. uh, in the shower mm. is incredibly dubious yeah because obviously he has a conversation with her where she says oh I'm basically a child sex slave and then he just walks into her shower and, and yeah and they yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not sure about that one, Bond. Yeah, because uh, it wasn't necessary. <laughs> like that wasn't even like you had to do it for the job. No, but that, that is, was one. Yeah, but that is just list ticking at that point, isn't it? Because as, so, as, yeah. as we've said, M is basically the Bond girl this time round. Yeah, and my one, I suppose, my biggest critique is when Silver kills that character. Mm-hmm. He says, "What do you think of that?" And Bond says, "A waste of good scotch." Okay, it's like the film had been going deeper and more personal with Bond up to that point yeah and it felt like that flippancy was inconsistent okay with the tone of the film okay mm. my counter argument to that is that's kind of the moment where Bond is like okay I need to be James Bond now I know that I, I get that argument but I don't think they made us see that if that was the case you should see him struggle for a second you know okay but oh shit that horrible thing just happened okay Wait, but no it's just it's kind of played as a joke hmm and I just think that it stands out like a sore thumb when the rest of the film is quite kind to his character. Okay. Yeah. It was a waste of good scotch, though. It was a waste of good scotch. That's yeah, that was good scotch, say. wasn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, you understand. That's all I've got to say about Sky. Okay. Was yeah. there anything else you wanted to say, Eddie? Because I'm pretty much done say, on no, my end. That's, yeah. My main love of that film is particularly that, how beautiful that island is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a damn good island. Damn good island. <laughs> Yeah, we've, we've moved on a bit. I've only taken us an hour and a half <laughs> to get to number nine. Oh, dear me. Okay. <laughs> we're going to be here a while, Jess. Oh, yeah. Um, just so the audience know, chances are we're going to be breaking this up into... Oh, yes. Yeah. So yeah. Chances are <laughs> this isn't just going to be... At least two. Yeah. Well, you'll, you'll be, know from Be prepared the... for your January to consist of us. Yeah. You'll know from the um, timestamps just like how much we've broken it up. But yeah, <laughs> our plan was never to do this as one long episode because... Yeah. We talk long. We t- we go on at the best <laughs> we of talk long. We talk long. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Okay. Um, yes, okay. Number nine for me yes. uh, is Nocturnal Animals. Okay. okay. Uh, so Nocturnal Animals. Shit. Go on. <laughs> you lost the demo sound. Nocturnal Animals follows um, Amy Adams' character. Her uh, former partner uh, sends her a manuscript. Which is called Nocturnal Animals, which is what he used to call her, because um, she has a lack of sleep. Yeah, she used to call her Nocturnal Animals. He used to call her a Nocturnal Animal. <laughs> right, okay. Prick. Okay. 
It's your, it's your ninth favourite film of the decade. Get it right, Eddie. <laughs> you didn't even fucking watch it. <laughs> yeah, but I don't have to get it right. You ever get it right. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, he calls it Nocturnal Animals and he dedicates it to her. Um, and so what we get is a film that follows her over the following days as she reads the story and then the world of the story um, sort of coexisting with one another. Mm. Um, it's it's a very violent story. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters are clearly based sort of versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal plays the partner and then the main character. Uh, his wife in the... It is his wife, isn't it? Yeah, she looks suspiciously like Amy yeah. Adams. Yes, yes. She's played by Isla Fisher. Yeah. Um, they just went for redhead actresses. Oh, yeah. Isn't uh, that like a joke that those two look alike? Is yes. It, yeah, yeah so it's, it's, it's a Hollywood kind joke. Of playing off that, yeah. Oh, okay. um, yeah, so they're in it. You've Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Yeah. Um, who I, th- I think is particularly good. Chomps on the scenery. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then you've got uh, I can't remember his name. Michael now. Shannon, Michael who Shannon. I would say is particularly. I I, I good. think I think he's the standout. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. we are in agreement. Yeah, well, Michael, yeah. I think Michael Shannon. Michael standout. Shannon is the standout. Period, isn't he? Pretty much anything. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Just this grunting, <laughs> menacing. For you know. Yeah. It's like oh, he's gonna go fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That you know. Um, but yeah. So the world of the story is I think arguably far more interesting it's the bulk of the film definitely yeah Yeah. well Uh, the interesting thing is that uh, the film makes a very clear distinction between the two doesn't it because the style the style of the real world stuff is very different from the style that the Mm. film like uses when it's the book isn't it Um, the book is almost like a western uh, it's well it's a um, no yeah okay maybe not a western yeah it's it's a. Bee. I haven't seen this film. Remember, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a B revenge pulp sort yeah. of story. Yeah. But the, but the film uh, the film. Do you want to just make all the points and I'll shut up for a while? <laughs> <laughs> no, like from what I remember, the stuff that's set in the book because it's set in Texas. Yeah, I don't know yeah. where. I assume it's California. The real life stuff. Yeah, revolt. Yeah, so you've got like the stuff that's set in Texas. The image is obviously it's very orange and it's very saturated and it feels very hot and everyone's very sweaty. And then you've got the California real world stuff where it's all very, like it's white, large white, yeah, large yeah. white rooms and everything's very cold and it's it's the LA like it's very art. Scene. Yeah, it's yeah. very very artsy. Yeah, yeah. repulsively so. But oh, maybe yeah. that's the point. Oh, I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's hundred percent the point. Okay. Um, but yeah, so you follow this story as she goes through that, and then it ultimately ends with her arranging to meet the ex-partner, and he never shows up. Yeah, um, and that's and the she, film. <laughs> that's, 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 that's the film. But yeah, no, I think all of the films that I've sort of put on my list are films where I felt I could rewatch them quite happily. Okay. Um, this was another one. In fact, it like it, weirdly, I kept trying to not include it on my list. Right. Okay. Not because it, for whatever reason, it shouldn't have necessarily made the list, but then I kept coming back to it, and in, in the end, I went. I think the reason I'm coming back to it is because I wanted on the list, and I'm arguing the toss for no reason with myself. Okay. I do enjoy it. Yeah. It made me want to write. Yeah, it, this will come up with another choice of yours, but yeah. I'm thinking about it now with Birdman as well. Mm. Quite a few of your choices are about the world of a writer or. You know, you've got theatre in Birdman. Yes. You've got this for Nocturnal Animals. I just, I, there's something about it. Mm-hmm. 
That, that's all. It's always my go-to. If, if there's something about it, I've got kind of a mixed relationship with nocturnal animals. That's my laptop there. Um, part the biggest thing for me is I don't know what's meant to be intentional and what isn't. Mm. So, for instance, the fact that quite a few people say that Jake Gyllenhaal, the real world Jake Gyllenhaal, was a really good writer, but he's written like trash. Do you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the book itself is really basic and trashy. It's just about uh, a family that are kind of driven off the road by these rednecks. The rednecks rape and kill his family. And then he sets out for revenge. Like, that's pulp. That's crap. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I don't... But I don't know whether that is like, oh, these people are so kind of pretentious and that, that he's sort of deliberately written crap as like a middle finger, partly. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I don't know whether that's intentional or not. Like, the fact that the real-world characters are hateful. I hate all the real people in the film. But I th- oh, so I, they aren't... I think that they're made to be quite... That's the thing. I think in that case, yes, they are kind of caricatures. Because the, the only person, the real-world person I like in the film is Amy Adams. Okay, but yes, I was watching it, and it struck me as a very... The, the big, horrible, tragic ending for her. It's, a, it's, it's very privileged in the sense of only in like the LA art scene could being stood up be the denouement of the tragedy. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't turn up and she's like, oh, and that's the yeah. end of the film. It's like, yeah. you know. Um, but I kind of like that in a way. It's mm. sort of, yeah, that's who these people are. Say, to be fair, you've also got the start of the film where it, it opens with, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the most politically correct correct way of saying okay um <laughs> fat naked women dancing <laughs> yeah yeah it does yeah i like how you leaned in on the f- <laughs> fat <laughs> fucking, yeah it's, uh, it's, fat. it's fucking disgusting yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a bunch of flash planets bouncing <laughs> um but it ca- it captures your attention straight away it, it's, well, it does do that it does do it that, does do yeah. that. yeah um, yeah, so Aaron Taylor Johnson, because he won the Globe, I think, and maybe the BAFTA. No, he was nominated for the BAFTA. Yeah, he was because yeah. he was nominated for the BAFTA and Shannon wasn't, but then Shannon was nominated for the Oscar. That's right. Taylor Johnson is really good, but I think he might be. Uh, but again, this is part of the thing. Mm. I don't know whether his villainy is meant to be kind of obvious, because that's the kind of book it is. Yeah. Or whether it's just the performance, because I thought it's similar to the raid of like. You're trying too hard to make me not like this guy. Mm. I, I already oh, yeah. don't like him. Yeah, and he does chew the scenery and like the whole thing when like he's like humping the road, you know, <laughs> just like taking the piss out of yeah. the family. Um, and like when he's ha- he's he's having a shit in his outside toilet when they come to yeah. arrest him and he's just like, oh, "What do you want?" <laughs> doesn't doesn't care and just wipes and looks at it in front of them. Yeah, I get it. He's like repulsive, but again, maybe that's a function of well, it's because he's the villain in a in a pulp novel yeah um, but I yeah I fucking hate that character in the, in the way the film wants me to yeah okay. I hate him so much just a little smirk he gives John Lawler when he's like I don't know who you are but yeah it's oh, <laughs> oh I hate him I hate him so, but I, I'm not a big fan of Aaron Taylor Johnson I gotta say so that kind of informs my oh, okay. dislike of that character mm. I mean the rape they have me at rape <laughs> in terms of hatred of that character but. no but it, but it is when he finally admits to it like at the end and then Jake Gyllenhaal you know he's, he's got what he wants out of yeah. that and even then it, there's still like a moment where he's holding the gun at him and you're not convinced he's going to pull the trigger no. and realistically he pulls the trigger because he swings for him 
Yes. So ends up with a f- fucked up face, <laughs> and then shoots himself. Yeah, I th- I think like it's a film where the supporting performances kind of overshadow. So Shannon and Taylor Johnson, you know, they're very yeah. They're both showy and different. Like Shannon is showy and just like not doing much and just all grunt. Yeah, yeah. Which he does, you know, better than anyone. Yeah. But like Jake Gyllenhaal is the unsung hero of that. Film. I think he's great in Nocturnal Animals. Mm-hmm. He, it's a really good performance. That's kind of been ignored because of what's around it. Yes. Um, my, my biggest problem with the film, I suppose, is that I expected more of a tie-in between the fictional universe and the real universe, like where they were going to start informing each other. Yes. And blurring and like, oh, I don't know what's real. And oh, okay. A right. Nolan-style kind of twist. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It's that kind of film, isn't it? With like, or Charlie Kaufman is playing with different levels of reality. You're expecting some sort of. Yeah. In a way, I quite like that. No, they're two very distinct worlds. Like, yeah. I do quite like that at the same time. But I find the ending is a bit anticlimactic. But maybe that's the point. I don't know. Mm. See, for me, that is one of my critiques. Is I wanted something else at the end. Yeah. Like I, I was just waiting for something else. Yeah, I don't. I guess his. If you want to look at Jill as like the villain of the real world. Hmm. I guess his because they were married, weren't they? They were married, and then and then yeah, she cheated on him. Not it's that's not necessarily explicitly said, okay. but she gets rid of his child, right, without telling him. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then he yeah, and then so she sat in the car park of the abortion center, and she looks up, and he's there. Right, yeah, okay. So the book is basically a, is revenge against her. In ter- I guess in terms of like his plan is right. I'll send you this book. It's going to be this horrible story about this family that get, like, raped and butchered. She will read into that that I'm, like, putting her in that role. Yes. Mm. And then I'll get her so kind of, like, involved in my headspace again that I'll arrange to meet her and I won't show up and that will be the ultimate... I guess that's what the plan is? Yeah. Weird plan. (laughs) (laughs) Just, like, I don't know, just... Just create a character with her name and make her a bitch or something. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it is a very... Um... Well, uh, there's a point where she says, she's like, he sent me this manuscript. Yeah. And he dedicated it to me. Yeah. And she kind of like doesn't know what he's got. What the fuck he's playing at. Yeah. It is a very West Coast film, you know. It's very mm. like, with that ending, the fact that like, it's kind of a passive-aggressive revenge. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to write a book. Where like it's I'm sort of genius like, idea. Where, 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 <laughs> yeah, where I'm just gonna like torture you with its ambiguity, yeah. you know, about why have I dedicated this to you? You're gonna stay up, you know. Um, and I have one minor critique as well. That jump scare is completely unnecessary, yeah. which is when uh, she's looking at the baby cam, and then Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Ah! I was like, yeah. why? Why did you do that? <laughs> uh, but I get, I guess that's his revenge, right? To torment her with yeah, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think yeah. Uh, as soon as you mentioned the baby, I was like, oh, that's probably where the jump scare comes from. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, like they're they're socialites, the shallow socialites mm. who just can't don't think of the world like that. Yeah. So when she's been presented it in the form of this, but yeah, maybe that's just kind of he's pricking the bubble of her mm. privilege. I don't know. Mm. I talk yeah, about it's all right. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, what do you think? Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. Um, no, you've covered um, more than I would cover, but also you've covered stuff <laughs> that I was like, yeah, I agree with that. Okay. So yeah, I agree with that. I watched it in the cinema, um, and yeah, I haven't really felt a compulsion to go back to it. Not yeah. 
because of the quality of the film. I mean, it's, it's a very well-made film and it's got great performances in it, but I don't know. I just kind of felt like I got everything I needed on the first watch. Yeah, it's. I think because they don't do any kind of like blurring of the two worlds, it mm. is very, oh, this is one world, this is the other. It's distinct, open, shut, done. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah it's like you've got to really be in the mood to go back. Because, you know, it is mm. a, quite a grueling film as well. Mm. It is. Like the scene, uh, you know, that scene on the highway is horrible. Oh, it's, it's really yeah. well done. It's yeah. like, oh, I, don't, I sort of know where this is going. You and... feel helpless yeah, as, well, yeah. as an audience member. Yeah, it's really well done. Yeah. I was going to say, just with that scene, there's a bit where they have like no music as they drive right. off with the daughter and the wife. Yeah, where it cuts I, out. Is it, you just can't it, believe what has Yeah, you can't, you can't believe yeah. what's happened, so there's just no music. And that silence is disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just absolutely I like, I like, disgusting. I like that sentence, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, disgusting silence, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that... Okie dokes. That is my number nine. Jordan. So from Nocturnal Animals, <laughs> we go to the Lego movie, which is my number nine. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Lego movie is a film about... Uh, Lego. Lego. It's about how everything is awesome. You say that as a joke, but it is no, no, genuinely yeah. a film yeah. about Lego. It's about this uh, Legoman called Emmett who's like a very generic Legoman um, is that what they're called? no they're called <laughs> okay, right. minifigures I think they're called okay. um, but I've decided they're going to be called Legoman from now on okay um, yes Emmett played by Chris Pratt who's a very generic Legoman um, and he <laughs> um, he gets wrapped up in this uh, he no what happens? <laughs> I don't remember what happened. He, no, gets, well, he gets wrapped up in a big adventure. He when does. He... No, the problem is, it's one of those films where I think more about. Um, it's it's weird to sort of summarize it on a surface level. I'm not. I'm not going to claim that this film is deep or anything like that. No. But it's it's weird to think about it on the surface level. I said in a previous podcast that Lord and Miller, who wrote and directed uh, this film, I'm pretty sure they wrote it. They definitely directed. Yeah, it. they did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they've sort of become known for kind of like making films about the property that they're adapting as opposed to using the trappings of that property mm-hmm. in the way that most people would adapt material um, but I'll try and summarise the surface stuff so yes Emmett uh, Legerman generic he gets what's known as the piece of resistance glued onto his back yeah, stuck to does. his back yeah he does <laughs> Um, and he's and he gets embroiled in this adventure in which they say, oh, because you've got the piece of resistance stuck to you, you are now the chosen one. You are the special, as they call it. And you're going to help us defeat uh, the evil Lord Business, who is a businessman, a Lego businessman. Um, played by Will Ferrell. Played by Will Ferrell. It's a very standard um, kind of chosen one hmm. story, until it's not. Yeah. That is the Lego movie. <laughs> who wants to who wants to start on the Lego movie? Well you. Okay. It's my it's my top ten. Uh yeah. Yeah, as I say, the the making the film about the franchise. I think that's the, the real genius of this film. It's like a very it's very funny. It's got a very particular sense of humour, a very kind of like anarchic mm. that it's very like frantic and like, oh visuals, oh things are happening. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the, the really clever thing about this film is that they said, right. How do people typically engage with Lego? There's the people who like to be freeform and creative and just build whatever, and there's the people who follow the instructions rigidly. That's going to be the central conflict of the film. Mm-hmm. And there's just like the, the fact that the film is animated, it was an animated film, obviously, but the fact that the film is animated to look like a 
Lego stop motion film. Mm-hmm. I think that was just a really smart decision because yep. it it you it stands out visually like instantly like okay that's the Lego movie I know what that is. I don't know about you guys um, like one of the first YouTube videos I remember seeing was Lego Death Star Canteen. No, no, you're not familiar with it either. Are you familiar with this? Maybe it's a bit of it's like an extract of Eddie Izzard's uh, stand up. But there's like people who've like done a stop motion Lego animation over the top. Of yes, it. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, there's like loads of different ones. There's cake or death. There's um, yeah. Do you have a flag? Like things like that. Um, so even though I never did stop motion Lego myself, I know that there's a lot of people out there to whom like that's like that's. Um, I never filmed it, but I would have definitely done that. As a yeah, kid. and that's just something you do as a kid as well, isn't it? You just pour your imagination into this Lego, and it's like, yeah. oh, this is now like he's a spaceman and he's going to go to space, and we're in space now. And you, you know, that's another thing I like about it is that it does feel like it becomes more prophetic than one would initially think, but it sort of feels like a kid playing with his well, toys. A nineteen eighty random nineteen eighty spaceman is annoying as. Fuck. Okay, we'll we'll get to him um, <laughs> because well, I'm sure you'll have something to say on that, Sam. But what now? It was 1980s spaceman. Climate. What is that? It's Charlie Day. Oh yeah, I've got one of my points. Is Charlie Day is irritating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's annoying as fuck. Yeah, yeah. By design, do you think? No, no. I think Charlie Day people find that voice charming. Like, oh, Charlie Day. No, not charming. Surely oh yeah, not yeah, charming. yeah. No, genuinely. No, the people love his voice. Like, that's why every comedy film he's done in the last few years, he just highlights that Charlie Dayness of it. I fucking hate Charlie Day. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I like I, him in Horrible Bosses. I don't like because I, I, I am seeing Horrible <laughs> Bosses, to be fair, but he does it in that as well. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. But I like, I, yeah, I like that. I saw Fist, we saw Fist Fight. We did. What the fuck is that? Last Night the Battle. <laughs> um, Fair enough. One of the worst films of that year. Yeah. Him Fist, and Ice Cube. Fist Fight? Not Fist Fight. Him Fist and Fight Ice Cube. Cube. Yeah. But they're, they're both, very quickly, they're both teachers. Um, Ice Cube gets sacked, be, sort of because of Charlie Day. And then he says, um, he challenges him to a fight so they can resolve their differences in the parking lot. So in the whole film is him like, how do I get out of this? Or how do I train up to beat Ice Cube in a fight? And then they actually just have a fight. Right. That's the film. That's the film. <laughs> that is the film. Yeah. It's fucking terrible. But yeah, yeah Lego movie. Lego movie. Um, do, do, what do you want to say about the Lego movie? I haven't got much to say about it, honestly. I, I, I agree with you that it's very clever. Mm-hmm. It's very funny. It's very dense. Yeah. Uh, I like the animation style of it. Yeah. Um, it, it is very frenetic. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're not tuned into it, you'd hate it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it has that kind of um, child mania to it yeah I, I, it's very some other films that were, are going to come up have a similar thing yeah um, it's the same thing I like the film quite a lot and I think it's a really good script mm. but every time I watch it it's got me for an, for an hour yeah. and then I'm out yes. every single time okay. after act two I'm out okay. I've had my f- I'm full mm. and again similar to a film that we will discuss later where it's similarly energetic and very in your face but it's stretched I out. I just enough. realized what film. Yeah, mean. yeah. That I am, that I feel full at the end of it. Yeah. Whereas in the Lego Movie, I guess because it's a slightly younger audience, it's it's kind of too much uh, junk food almost. Okay. And I get a sugar rush by act the end of Act Two. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm yeah. Out. Okay. That's yeah. fair enough. Um, but I think it's you know it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then part of the appeal of the film and also just Lego in general is um, they don't just stick to. It's not just. Lego film set in city. No, like it's a it's a globe trotting 
yes, adventure yes, of sorts. They go to like the world west. They go to yeah, block block trotting. Trotting. I was yeah. block trending. That's not right. <laughs> um, yeah, they go to like uh, uh, place in the clouds, mm. and like Batman is like one of the main supporting characters. And yeah, I like I really like that. Just the thatness of it. The anarchy of it. The yeah. anarchy of it. Yeah. yeah. For me, one of the most important things about the film, though, is the fact that they've got the real world mixed in with yeah. the animated. Yes, that's what I meant about the propheticness yeah. of it feels like a kid playing with toys because as you find out, it is literally a kid well, playing a, with... A kid playing with a, a, an adult's toy. An adult's toy, a, as yes. Well, as we what? find out... <laughs> <laughs> no, Sam. That's next week's episode. Um, the dildo movie. <laughs> um, yes, no, it, you know... It, we'll... giving him ideas now. <laughs> <laughs> giving the, the, the film He's people ideas. Okay, um, the dildo movie okay. is copyright. Um, yeah. You cannot yeah. steal copyright that idea. Copyright limited. <laughs> you cannot steal that idea. So don't fucking make it. Um, the dildo megastore? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um, but yes, as you find out, um, Will Ferrell, who's played Lord Business throughout, is his father, yeah. the man upstairs, as mm-hmm. it were. Yeah. Um, it's and- <laughs> and you find out that the craggle is crazy glue. And oh the, yeah, yeah. The um, the piece of resistance is supposed to neutralize the craggle. And yeah, you find out it's the lid of a crazy glue. Yes. Yeah, yeah. See, see, this is the thing where it skirts towards being smart ass as opposed to smart. Okay. But it doesn't. No. It doesn't mm. ever goes there. But it's like uh, you're testing it a bit. Yeah. You're test. You, yeah. You're getting too close to being like, ah, oh, aren't we sort of? Uh, yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they never quite. It, yeah. it is very clever, but. It also it partly inspires me to do the same thing I would with the Birdman, which is okay, yeah, as opposed to like loving it and like being yeah, yeah. proper invested. Okay. In it. Yeah, the one thing I will say um, about the Lego Movie is the double decker couch. What about the double decker couch? Because everyone basically hates it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> the double decker couch. Okay, <laughs> where's this? So oh, the, it turns out a couple of times. Um, yeah, so Emmett. But he's not a master builder, obviously. A master and, builder. And so they're like... <laughs> Surely just just carry on, Eddie. Ignore um, him. But yes, yeah, so, so he isn't a master builder and they're like, well, what have you ever come up with that's mm. your own sort of creative design? Right. And it's like, well, I came up with a double-decker couch once to have all my friends wrapped. <laughs> and, and like, when shit hits the fan and they all end up in the like the water... Yeah. It's like the one thing that keeps them all alive. Yeah, okay. they, they escape on a pirate ship, and the only thing that survives is the double decker couch. Nick Offerman voices the pirate. Right? He does. Well, he sounds nothing like Nick Offerman. No, it's properly pirate. Yeah, I was really surprised yeah, to learn yeah. it was Nick Offerman. Um, I love the bit in the open. The, the the best part of the film is the opening. Yes, uh, where it's his life. Yes, absolutely. That's, they nail that. Yeah, and it's the moment where it's <laughs> he goes into the coffee store. It's part of like a really frantic montage. Yeah, and then she's like, "That's fifty bucks," and he's like. Awesome! I love, <laughs> I love that beat. Yeah. Just like that yeah. silence, so he just can't compute. Yeah, yeah. No, it, and yeah, you know, it, it is aimed at a very young audience, but there is enough there for the adults. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As as all good family films should be, I think. For everyone, yeah. yeah. For the family, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kids will enjoy the just the animation mm-hmm. and just the 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 characters and all that sort of stuff and then as an okay. appearance you can go ah but I know what's really going on yes yeah. Yeah. well I was going to say it runs in a similar vein to me for, as um, Paddington does okay um, because Paddington there are things that are said in the you know it's a lo- technically it's a lovely 
child-friendly film, mm. but through the dialogue, there are things that are said, and you're like, ah, okay. Yeah. It, it's got those hidden jokes, and the Lego movie has various hidden, you know... My rule with that, for, you know, family-slash-children's films and putting adult jokes in there, as long as when the kid asks what that means, the adult is able to answer, I'm okay with it. Mm. If not, I just don't think it has any place in a children's film. Do you know what I mean? We watched yeah, uh, bring it up. Yeah, Transformers The Last Night very recently. Have you seen Transformers The Last Night, Eddie? No, because okay. it's shit. I highly recommend. No. <laughs> Transformers The Last Night. For um, anyone that is listening on this podcast, <laughs> never watch a single of the modern Transformers films. No. Well, I think it's, it's my a, review of that. It's, it's a... <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, I think it's okay to watch Bumblebee, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's o- yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. That is the yeah. word for it. Uh, yeah, but we watched that. And though I wouldn't call Transformers a kid's film, it doesn't feel like it's it's aiming. It's certainly not the same age demographic as the Lego movie. No, though that is what it should be aiming at. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the language yeah. in Transformers is insane. But shit, were... shit, shit. Every other sentence. Genuinely, shit. yeah. I was genuinely like, it's for kids. Yeah. I can't believe really do this. <laughs> I was genuinely like appalled. Yeah, yeah it's we we basically we. I were, think they even throw a couple of fucks in there as well. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. were having like a bad film day. So you watch Transformers. Yeah, was this on bad? Yeah. Jordan had been recommending Terrible it for choice. a long time on the strength of Anthony Hopkins's insane indifference. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was well, I was angry. Is it, it indifference? On Anthony Hopkins. Indifference, like, like oh, I don't care what. This, I'll I'll read the lines how I want to read them. Yeah. Yeah, that is the best part of the film. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's the only good part of the film. It is. It's just how much of the piss Anthony Hopkins is taking, <laughs> taking in his yeah. performance. Yeah. Um, well, but not... you wouldn't take it seriously. You get no, your paycheck to be in a bag of shite. Yeah. 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 This is not in our top ten, so we shouldn't. No, <laughs> it's not. The last night. It did. It was a funny. Um, we also watched the Emoji movie, or tried to watch the Emoji movie. We did very briefly. We didn't get through it. I was going to say it's terrific. <laughs> <I did my best. laughs> but it was so bad. No. Um, there was a moment where what was it? It was like earlier in the film where James Corden says something to someone. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I, I came back from the cinema having seen that. Um, <laughs> Why? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, why'd you go to the cinema? Oh, I, I, it, it, it was part it. of part of work. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, okay. So, but I went to cinema. So I came back and I walked into uh, the place I was working at the time, and my colleagues just looked at me and went. You look so broken. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. The emoji of like the sad emoji. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there must be a worse. Like, <laughs> there's got to be a, an emoji that describes me better than just sad because yeah. I just looked like a, a, you know, the flesh should have been coming off me. <laughs> yeah, I really could. I just couldn't get through no. it. No, I couldn't get through it all. But I brought it up because I can't remember exactly what he says, um, so I'll have to substitute it. But um, there's like a character he's, he's, James Gordon's trying to sneak into an area and there's a character who's like following him in and he's like oh sod off or like mm-hmm. you know be gone such and such back off yeah back mm-hmm. off and Sam just looks at me with shock he's like I thought he said fuck off yeah. <laughs> I, was genuinely... I jumped because yeah. I thought it was a kids film yeah uh, it made me think of my broody because like do I want kids now because like the fact that they were swearing in the kids film I was like oh <gasps> <I jumped laughs> well, kids might there. see this kids, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, or kids might see this yeah. Yeah, yeah Patrick Stewart as the Poop. shit emoji <laughs> yeah you would though if they offered me <laughs> like come do this terrible script you're playing poop yes yeah, I'm, doing it. <laughs> I'm poop <laughs> okay 
that yeah. was the Lego movie. That was, yeah, do you have anything more to say on the Lego movie? No, and it's not, yeah, it's it's a very good film. Um, and in a way, I kind of want to let the film itself do the talking. So it doesn't have Patrick Stewart playing a poop. It, it sadly does not have Patrick Stewart, but it has Will Arnett. Charlie Day being a shit, though. Yeah, it has Charlie Day being a shit. <laughs> it's yeah. got Morgan Freeman in it. It, has, it does. Yeah. It has Will um, Arnett being Batman. It has yeah, Liam Neeson being good cop, that's, bad cop. That's good. He's very good in Alison it. Alison Brie is quite good in it. It's a good yeah. cast. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, good cast. performances. Yeah. yeah. Okay. From the Lego movie yes. to my number nine, which is Calvary. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> We've been quite right rollercoasting this number nine, haven't they? Okay, so Calvary is about a an Irish priest. Um, From Ireland? Yeah. Okay. It is, don't you know? Uh... What was, what was that, Eddie? <laughs> do, you want, do you want to do that again? No, I don't. Okay. And I, a Catholic priest, obviously a Catholic priest, uh, in a small Irish town. Um, and at the very start of the film, he is... A man comes into the confession box and basically threatens to kill him. Well, it says he's going to kill him a week to that day, which is the following Sunday. Mm. And then the whole film is just kind of like... Well, it's the week playing out, essentially. Yeah. Um, as the countdown ratchets on. It's not a film that's heavy on the plot, in that sense. I don't feel. I feel like that's the no, most it, I can it, really it, say plot-wise. Yeah, yeah. It, it just follows him as he kind of gets his affairs and all that. As he sort, yeah, and like, yeah. So okay, so let's go into it a little bit. The opening scene is quite striking. Uh, yes. The opening line. Uh, well, yeah. Okay, so the film has like a couple of meta moments. This being one of them, where the film it starts off and it's just a close-up of Brendan Gleeson mm-hmm. and the whole scene just plays out in one take mm. on his face uh, and the guy sits in uh, the confession box who you never see and I think the opening line is I first tasted semen when I was seven years old yeah or something it was and then, a similar age yeah and Brendan Gleeson says well that's certainly a, certainly a startling opening line yeah now I generally I'm not a fan of meta in films okay. I don't no it pulls me out of it and it is smart ass. It works for me in Calvary. That's one example. But my, I'll, just, I'll skip straight to my one critique of it. Oh, okay. There's one towards the end. I can't remember the context in which it's said. But someone says, how's that for a third act revelation? Right. And it's like, eh, a bit too much. Yeah. Okay. A bit too much. But, okay. So how I'm trying to find the right language to express why I love this film so much. <laughs> They burned out a church. <laughs> they burned out a church. Yeah, that's they it. kill a dog. <laughs> they kill a dog. They kill the dog. Yeah. Not uh, only do they kill the dog, we never find out who killed said dog. Well, no, not in the film, but it's. I think it's been said outside of the film who, who did it. Oh, okay. Um, in the scene that follows, um, so shock spoiler, um, <laughs> the priest dies. <laughs> He does. <laughs> he does. Um, you know, he gets his week to put his affairs and all that, then he still gets shot. Yeah. Um, in the scene after that, there is a shot of, like, every person in the cast. Yeah. Whoever it is apparently has a bandage on the hat. Oh, really? Okay, because I've heard that it was the, the barman. Yeah. So maybe it's, yeah, yeah. It's, got, it's got, like, yeah. a plaster or something on his hand, and that that's supposed to signify who did it. Okay. okay. Oh, okay. Because um, right. the dog yeah. bit them or whatever. So, as you pointed out before, I love Dread. Yes. Uh, as in the, the sensation, not yes. the film. Um, I think it's the most... Dreadful. <laughs> it's the most kind of alchemic, if that's the right word, mercurial, weird sensation that you can get from a piece of art. Mm-hmm. And I love it when it's done right. Yeah. Not fear, 
dread. Oh, I, something is gonna go wrong. Yeah. Obviously, it's very obvious why. Obviously, it's obvious uh, <laughs> why in this film that, that dread is there. Mm. But it's not like a. It's not hanging over it in a incredibly weighty fashion. It escalates as the week goes on, but it's quite subdued. Mm-hmm. He never really talks about it with anybody. No. He might tell. I think he tells his cardinal, you know, like the superior or bishop. Yeah. Or it sort of feeds into a point that I wanted to make about the film, which is. Yeah. Your natural inclination, because uh, yeah, you don't see the face of the person, yeah, and it turns out the voice was also disguised. I don't even think it's the same guy. No, no, it's uh, none of the actors out, yeah. outside of the film. Now yeah. they don't use the guy who ends up being the person who no. kills the priest in no. that confessional box. Yeah, um, and then not long after that, I think it might be even be a couple of shots later. He's doing service in which he's giving communion to the people of the parish, and it's showing them one by one. Yeah, and in your mind you're going, oh, okay, these are the suspects. Yeah. Yeah, and it's going to turn out to be like this whodunit where he's going around the town and he's like trying, trying to figure to, out, trying to figure yeah, out. Yeah, but no, no. He no. says uh, when he he goes to see the cardinal, he's like, "Oh, what do you think I should do?" Yeah, because I'm not much you can do really. He says, "Do you know who it is?" He says, "Yeah, I know who it is." He mm. knows who it is. As soon as they say it to him, he knows who it is. Well, he yeah. says, "I think there's a scene later on where he casts doubt on whether he knows." Okay, but I don't know whether that was him. I don't know whether he actually yeah, was doubting it. Yeah, so that's just self doubt. Yes, yeah. yeah. Then. Or it's... just or just because because I think that scene happens after the church is burned down, so obviously the cardinal now has or whoever it is, has a vested interest in capturing this person. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether he's like not protecting them, but sort of like oh I don't wanna uh, uh incriminate someone. Okay. Well you'll have to forgive me. I know I, I can come up come out with some flowery language, you know. Okay. On a day to day. But because of the nature of this film, I'm going to have to be quite pretentious <laughs> in how I talk about it, I okay. think. Right. Yeah. Okay. So for, forgive some of the more lofty okay. language. Okay. What a prick. <laughs> it's meandering towards infinity, is what this film is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the film is a, a not even a, a walk or a march towards the inevitable. It, it is a meander. It's him wandering around this town, stocked with these interesting, colourful characters... Who all, who pretty much invariably hate him, yeah. Mm-hmm. Knowing he's going to die, yeah. And the whole film is that kind of that sensation of, oh, it's coming, but we're going to get there kind of just at our own pace. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got it. It is structured, but very, very loosely. Um, it's almost here's the word picaresque. Okay. The film is essentially just a series of conversations with broken, cynical weirdos. Okay. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I completely yeah. agree with that. Um, Highlight for Dylan Moran for playing quite a fun. Yeah, <laughs> he's great. It's uh, there are just, there are conversations in it. There are scenes and bits of dialogue that don't make logical sense necessarily. I don't mean to say it's surreal because it's not. No. But it has a logic that you sort of understand sensationally as you're watching it or after the fact mm. so like when he says oh, I could I could piss on Dylan Moran basically plays a banker who's kind of stupidly rich yeah just has infinite wealth and just buys things for the sake of it and he gets a painting off the wall he's like this cost me like £20,000 or whatever yeah. I'll piss on it if you want and then Brendan Gleeson's like, like why, why, why the hell would I want you to do that and yeah. it sort of it makes it a kind of sense that I can't really articulate mm. the whole film basically is this de- a decent man one of the few decent men left in the world and the world just spitting at him. Yes, that is what the one of the few decent men, certainly in the church. 
yeah, and that's a big part of it. It's kind of a film about Maud Island in a way, about A, how the bankers have fucked everybody over, especially Bill Maher's character. Um, and yes, how there's a scene where there's a little kid walking along like the country path and he just has a really innocent conversation with her. And then the father pulls up and like, get back in the car. Yeah. And you just see this utter like despair, not despair, like just sadness on Brian Gleeson's face. He's yeah. like, there's nothing I can do about this. Well, like, there's At the end... The, the climax where uh, Chris O'Dowd yeah um, so Chris O'Dowd is a plays a character who was abused by another priest yes when he was a child and has just decided I'm, I can't kill him because he died already mm. so I'm going to kill you just because I can basically yeah I think he yeah. says doesn't he like killing a bad priest no one cares but killing a good priest yeah he'll send a message yes yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but in, in that scene uh, the Brendan Gleeson he he's talking to uh, Brendan Gleeson and he says, um, he asks him about uh, how much he cried when his dog was killed. Yeah. And then he asks him if he cried about all the kids. When he found out about, yeah. All the kids. And Brendan Gleeson says no. Yeah. Um, yeah. At that point, it's, I think it's difficult to know whether he's saying that to goad him into doing what he knows he's going to do. Mm. He says, no, I, felt, I suppose I felt indifferent, really. It almost feels like a performance, like he's just saying that. Yeah, he says he felt detached. Detached, yeah. that's right, yeah. Yes, it's very... I, I mean, the performance is astonishing. Mm. Like, that central performance. It's one of the best I've seen in film, mm. for me. It's great. Just mm. quietly great, you know? It's not yeah. a showboat performance. No, no. He just is this decent man. Gle- Brennan Gleeson. Yeah, yeah, Brennan yeah. Gleeson is this decent guy who's kind of... He's a priest, but he's worldly, and he's educated. Mm. Yeah. Because I think it was he became a priest quite late in his life after yes. his wife died. Well, yeah, he has a daughter. Yeah, he has, he has a daughter, yeah. yeah. So he kind of knows the world. And the thing I love most about his character is the utter no-nonsense yeah. ness yeah. of him. Yeah. He just won't have any bullshit. No. Um, I'm trying to give some examples. So, okay, I think there's Chris O'Dowd, uh, his wife is having an affair with uh, a man from the Ivory Coast. Yes. And she's been hit either by Chris O'Dowd or the guy she's having an affair with and um, Brendan Gleeson goes to see her just as part of his pastoral duties and um, like he he asks about her black Mm. eye and she says that's quite beautiful in a way isn't it and he's like what what do you mean she says oh you can find beauty in anything if you look hard enough he's like I think that's nonsense (laughs) and it's like it completely just undercuts her point it reminds me at the end of season 2 of Fargo where Kirsten Dunst who's kind of caused all this murder and mayhem is trying to justify it like through a feminist lens like oh as a woman you're expected to have it all like have a job and have a home and, and he's like people have died shut the fuck up basically yeah <laughs> and it completely like you're expecting this great yeah, monologue yeah. about oppressed womanhood and all this stuff. and he's like no yeah, it's no. as simple as this yeah. black and white you've killed people that's it yeah and Brennan, there's a lot of scenes in Carvery where he's just he undercut someone's yeah. grasping to be kind of pretentious or grasping <laughs> you know what I mean uh, I relate to that <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah I mean, like they keep invoking the history of the church's evils. So, like, uh, the, the African dude says to him, Oh, what are you going to do if I don't listen to you? Cut my arms off like they did to the children in Africa? Yeah. And he's basically just never having any of it. He's no, like, exactly. He's acknowledging what the church has done. Mm. But he's like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be the, um, I can't just bend over for these people, basically. Like, yeah. I have to stand upright. Yeah. Um, Okay, so the whole story, basically, it's a Christ parable, isn't it? And you said the title 
George. Yes. Yeah. Well, the first time I saw it, I mistook I mistakenly thought the title was uh, Cavalry. Oh yeah. And I was okay. like, why do they call it that? Like, oh, is it like a ironic thing? Because like, oh, you you know, you, you know, call in the cavalry, but mm. like he's completely on his own. Right. Okay. Or whether it's like, and you know, it has a there's a western it has a western tint to it as well. And a western tint. Yes. West Island, I think it is. West so, Island. Yeah. It's set in, and there yeah. are a few uh, shots of just the enormous like mm. scale of like some of the scenery and the mountains that surround it as well. And he's kind of because he has his one. He just wears his priestly robes. Yes, he's basically like a Western character. Like he's always in that. Yes. Um, yeah. He's yeah, like, like the robes billowing in the wind, yeah, like yeah. a duster coat and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But when um, obviously I soon learned the title was uh, Calvary, mm. and of course I same problem. Like why do they call it Calvary? Yeah, I said Calvary again. Almost <laughs> Calvary. Yeah. Um, and then I learned that um, Calvary mm. is uh, another name for Golgotha, which is the hill upon which Jesus Jesus was crucified. And as soon yeah. as you learn that, you're like, got it. Got I know it. exactly what the film is. It's a Christ parable about a guy that... Because, right, so... I, think I, love, I, was, I love titles like that. Where it's like, it's not immediately clear yeah. what's going mm. on. Like, why do they call it that? And then you hear it, and you're like, ah, okay. Like train spotting. Yeah. Although, apparently... Yeah, train spotting 2 kind of ruins it a little. Yeah. So, you know, in T2, they yeah. kind of... They retroactively explain why it's called train spotting. Because is it Robert Carlyle saw his father? Yeah. As like a drunk homeless man in a abandoned train station. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, train spotting lad. I always thought it was called train spotting because heroin users have tracks on their arms. Yeah. Which is, let's face it, much better. Oh, so, yeah. That's a far superior. <laughs> so that's a fantastic like yeah. place for a title. To yeah, come yeah. From. yeah. And the and you know the fact that the film is as energetic and mad as it is, and about heroin users. Yeah. But it's called train spotting. Which yeah, which a, sounds like a very placid activity, yeah, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's the, the most anorak thing to be. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, brief tangent, Noel Gallagher uh, refused to do a song for train spotting because he thought it was a film about train spotters. Oh, right. Like, I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to do a song for a boring train spotting. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, so it's a Christ parable about a guy that decides that he's going to die to kind of cleanse sin, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And stop the cycle of pain. Mm. Yeah. He says to his daughter, just pray dies. I think people talk about sins all too much and they never talk about virtues. Mm. I think forgiveness has been highly underrated or something like that. Yeah. Yes. And then, of course, the film ends with he's killed by Chris O'Dowd and then his daughter goes to visit Chris O'Dowd in prison, yeah. thus breaking the cycle of... And that is why I would not call it a depressing or bleak film, as okay. you might, George. Mm. Yes. It is a dark film. It's fucking dark miserable. Film. It's not it's miserable. What it is. It's miserable. It's a hopeful it's this, film. It's this. It's this. It's this good guy. It's this solid bloke. Yeah. Wandering around the town for like. <laughs> Sorry, George yeah. just said solid bloke. Yeah, it's a solid bloke wandering around the town for two hours. As people go, "Oh fuck off!" Yeah. I hate you and everything you stand for. Yeah. And they and he dies and of his own choice. Yeah, but I am mean, I, like when the when the daughter goes to like Chris or that, I was like, oh, is this supposed to be like? Am I supposed to? Is this supposed to forgive the two hours of like misery you've just put me it's through? It's not two hours of misery because it, it's a comedy, or like an hour and a half of misery. However no, long no, no, it is. no, no, I it's, mean, Carvery is a comedy. The film no, no, I will say it's funnier yeah. than I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a dark comedy. It builds yeah. itself as a black comedy, and it's yeah. definitely that. Yeah. Not because like the subjects are taboo, just like the. Um, I guess the attitude with which they're being, yeah, the the humor is coming from is what yeah. makes it so dark. The, the yes, I mean, yeah, he had access to a gun, so he could have shot Chris O'Dowd himself. He had access to a gun. He, I mean, go. He gets on a. He's about to board a plane, and it's moments like this that make me love the film. Yeah. Um, 
as he glances over and he sees the two um, crewmen, you know, for, for the plane, kind of leaning disrespectfully on a coffin. And then you, it just cuts to him driving back to the town. Mm. And I love things like that, where yeah. it's, he's clearly just like, the world's fucked. I'm, I'm just going to, like, let this guy do this to me. And mm. maybe it will bring some comfort in the grand scheme of things, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it is a black comedy. I mm-hmm. The scene with Milo in the church is a highlight for me. We talked about wanting to join the army. Yes. And uh, then does, I believe. At the very end does, yeah. yeah but yeah. another no-nonsense moment for Gleason where he's just like, I think people who want to join the army just want to kill people. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Things like that. Where even if whether he's right or wrong. Mm. So I should join the army. He just <laughs> he just says what he thinks, you know. Another little highlight for me is just a performance beat where Aiden Gillen, who's like the most villainy member of the cast, I would say. Is he the doctor? He's, yeah, mustache twirling villain. Yeah. yeah. He comes in and he basically tells him a story. It would appear so. It would appear so, yeah. yeah. He tells a story about this kid that like became deaf, dumb and blind. <laughs> Oh, God, and yeah. just would like wouldn't even know how that happened yeah. and would never see the parents. And but there's a silence of burning lease and goes, Why the fuck would you tell me a story like that? <laughs> I love it. It's like yeah. it's not played it's not a laugh, it's just no. like he's like what what possible reason could you have? Yeah. You're just you're just trying to make me like lose my faith basically. Yeah, yeah. Um and he, he gets in fights. He's an awesome priest. He's brilliant. <laughs> um okay, I've got you it, it could easily be mistaken for cynicism. Okay. Like a cynical film. Yeah, because yeah, of how dark that. it is. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's not. It's a rejection of cynicism. Okay. And by that, yeah, the ending basically. Okay. Hmm. Um, whether you think it kind of wipes the slate clean of all the darkness before it hmm. is well, one thing. Well, no, it doesn't do that because it shows. <laughs> okay. Um, it does show people like the people of the town, their lives just sort of carrying on after Brendan Gleeson's death. You could argue, like maybe, like oh, those. Those oh, that's what they're doing at the moment he dies. They haven't learned of his death. Yeah. But it just does kind of give the impression, with the exception of the, the very final scene with Chris O'Dowd, it does kind of give the impression of oh, nothing's been achieved. Right. It doesn't matter that he's dead. People just carry on. But the thing is, it's it's a symbolic resolution, isn't it? Because yes, it's not like his death is suddenly gonna motivate all these people into mm. life. Basically, will continue. Like I love the moment where he's standing like over the sea and then Dylan mm. Moran comes up to him and finally just like loses all the bullshit and he's like um, I'm struggling to be honest yeah he's like I'll come see you afterwards okay he's like okay that's not he's obviously not going to he knows he's not going to yeah, that's yeah. completely unresolved and it's not like he dies and then we see Dylan Moran kind of like oh I, I must now like re yeah think my no like his life will just go on you mm. know yeah hopefully a bit better for everybody but yeah symbolically isn't it? It's it's saying that it's time to end this cycle of yes. blame. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's all I've really got to say about Calvary. Okay. I think it's the only film on my list anyway that you're not going to see on many best of the decade lists. I yeah, I'd be yeah. surprised if it was on. You know, what I mean? it's a list. little film, a little weird film. Uh, so I suppose that would be my biggest recommendation in a way. Okay. Because I don't think. It's easy will have slipped through the cracks. I think. Yes, yeah. and it came out in 2014, I believe, which was a good year for cinema. It was, it was a yeah. very good year. For yeah. Number eight. Number eight. Uh, for my 
Mind and Break continues along the theme of priests. Okay. Uh, so Mind and Break is Spotlight. Ooh, oh, okay. Right. Now, <laughs> I'm going to preface that Spotlight appears on someone else's list further down uh, the line. Um, In this instance, do we no longer talk? Do we not talk about Spotlight for the time? No, being? so we'll, we'll have a proper yeah, discussion. We'll table the discussion until um, the last place, yeah. Yeah. Okay. To me then. Uh, my number eight is Sicario. Okay. Uh, Sicario stars Emily Blunt as Emily Blunt. She plays a. <laughs> she... uh, it doesn't star. No, it doesn't star Emily Blunt as Emily Blunt at all. Um, I believe her name is Kate Mesa. Yeah, Kate Mesa. I thought it was Mercer. I believe it's Mesa. I'm sure, is what I know. Um, she George, played... you didn't rewatch your own films. So no, 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 no. I, no, I rewatched this. I rewatched this I specifically watched... to see whether it would go on the list yeah. at all, and it did. I watched it yesterday. Oh, okay. All right. Ah, so it should be fresh in your. Should remember all the things about it. Uh, yes, it stars um, Kate Mercer as Emily Blunt. Mesa. <laughs> if you, if you, you can't do two mistakes. <laughs> you can't do... Yeah. Um, yeah, she plays uh, an FBI. Um... Just an FBI agent. Oh, she's just an FBI yeah, yeah. agent. The film opens with her yes. being a member of a strike team that are sort of battling the fight. They're fighting the war on drugs and fighting the yeah. drug cartels and losing, as the opening scene makes very clear. She's then approached by uh, Josh Brolin, who plays this sort of mysterious figure higher up in the government who says... CIA. Like, CIA, okay. Yeah. Uh, he's like, hey, I hear you're losing the war on drugs. Do you want to start winning the war on drugs? Um, so she's then recruited by him, and she meets, along the way she meets Benicio Del Toro, who plays this sort of like myster- deliberately kind of mysterious character. We don't quite know what his deal is or where he comes from. Um, and... After being recruited, she starts doing things where it's not entirely clear whether it's above board. And then as the film goes on, it becomes very clear that what they're doing is not above board. And the film continues in that fashion. The tagline is something like, the border is just another line to cross. And I think that summarises what the film is doing very clearly. It's set in... Well, parts of it are set in Mexico. Parts of it are set in El Paso, I believe. Yeah. Um, The border. The border, yeah. So... um, you know, you might. Some people might think, "Oh, is it going to be like a thriller, like an action thriller type thing?" Because it's like FBI fighting drug cartels. Is it going to be like a Breaking Bad thing, where it's sort of like a neo western that's informed by the environments? I would um, propose mm-hmm. that Sicario is a horror film. I don't know about you two, or at least it's closer to a horror film than I would concur. Yeah. Well, okay. I wouldn't call it a horror film. It's not horror. As yeah, in, like, yeah. Ghosts and jump scares. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it dread similarly to Calvin. Yes. It, very more, a lot more um, heavy in Sicario, I would say. Yeah. But I know exactly what you mean. Like, mm. it, it's a very. I would say it's a very slow thriller. Yes. A slow burn thriller. Yeah. But yeah. yes, it takes on the kind of. Yeah, experientially, it sort of becomes a horror yeah. movie. Yeah. I think the film plays its hand very quickly because the first scene is them raiding a house mm. and they find very quickly that the walls are lined with corpses. Yeah. And that's a very horrific image. They've just torn down all the walls in this house and there's just body bags yeah. like throughout the entire building. Um, and there's a moment where I think, yeah, yeah that we've had that reveal. Yeah. We've seen all the bodies. Mm. And then they go out to like the yard to open up the... It's um, like a shed in the backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got that, um, the Johan Johansson score, which is very... Mm, oh, that's a know, great score. It's a great score. Yeah. We'll get on to that, I'm sure. Yeah. But it cuts back to one of the the faces of the bodies. Mm. 
and it's kind of unmotivated it's an unmotivated cut it just goes back to it yes and it's kind of zeroing in and it's very slow yeah those sorts of things like oh this is a horror film yeah yeah, yeah. because there's no reason to go back there other than to like ingrain the horror of the situation yeah. you know which you did which you did which you certainly yeah. did there's a there's a comparison that um I sort of thought of when I was rewatching it. Um, I thought it was in some way similar to Spec Ops: The Line, which I've spoken to you about before. Yeah. Do you know about Spec Ops: The Line, Eddie? It's a video game that came out in 2012, I believe. Uh, it's basically this third-person shooter, and it's set in a post-apocalyptic Dubai. Okay. It's actually it's based on. So Dubai. Oh God. It's. Uh... <laughs> It's actually based on uh, Heart of Darkness, which is the same book that inspired Apocalypse Now. Okay. Um, yeah, it's said in post-apocalyptic du- post-apocalyptic Dubai, a sandstorm has just leveled the city. Mm-hmm. So a battalion or like a fragment of the U.S. military going to help with the evacuations, and all yeah. contact is lost. The game picks up with you as playing as like the leader of like a three-man Delta squad who go in after hearing a distress call from the leader of the military forces. Who's also like your um, a, a trainer, like slash father figure in the army? Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first like hour or two, it seems like very like you know, it's just kind of like oh, it's just sort of like a Gears of War style third person cover shooter. It's a typical military shooter where we go into like this foreign land and we fight the natives. And but then like after a while, you start fighting like uh, American soldiers. And it's like okay, that's a okay. I wonder what's going on there. And then it starts to like throw up this very like uncomfortable imagery there's like mm-hmm. a moment where, you, where you're sort of like going around in the sewers or like the remnants of this collapsed building and you walk out onto a highway and there's just like bodies strung up from lampposts and then there's like a scene sort of about two thirds of the way through the game where it really tips its hand and it becomes clear like oh okay this is closer to a survival horror than it is a third person shooter because it's just this horrific sequence that just completely starts ripping apart the character. And obviously Apocalypse Now is like a Descent into Madness type thing. Yeah. This is not quite Descent into Madness. Not Madness, no. Sicario tips its hand a lot earlier than Spec Ops does, but the character definitely comes out of the film worse than when she goes in. Yes, I think... Okay, so Heart of Darkness, obviously, yeah, inspired Apocalypse Now, Spec Ops, um, a lot of thrillers. Yeah. uh, Sicario to to, to a certain degree. Yeah, all these films about voyages into moral compromise yes and like kind of seeing the evil of man manifest yeah um and the score of Sicario reflects that it's a descent into a void yes that's what that score is yeah, it's, mm, yeah. you actually feel like you're going down and and then uh, 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 and then of course literally in the film that happens they do go subterranean yeah you know like I mean? uh, one of the later action sequences takes place entirely in the dark yeah and it's all night vision yeah all those things are about we have a we have a mission yeah and to do that mission we have to compromise our morality yes oh yeah, yeah i wouldn't call it a horror film i call it a dread film okay yeah yeah, yeah. the one, one of the things, things i like about it, it um or at least one, one of the things, things that feeds into, into that is Benicio del Toro, who, as yeah. we said, he's kind of like cloaked in mystery at the beginning of the film. Um, and then the film sort of starts to set him up. He's not like because Emily Blunt sort of starts talking to him, and though he's not as he's not that reciprocal, he doesn't reciprocate like Emily Blunt's mm. kind of not enthusiasm, but the way she talks to him. The film is kind of positioning him as like, oh, he's going to become the character that we're going to like empathize with. 
because Josh Brolin is very like talkative and charismatic and um, he's sort of like oh he's friendly and like he talks to Kate and sort of tells her what's going on but then he gets very cagey about what their true intentions are mm-hmm. so in a conventional film it'd be like okay Josh Brolin turns out to be the villain and Benicio Del Toro kind of defects and helps uh, Emily Blunt save the day and stop Josh Brolin and whatnot. Benicio Del Toro is probably the most monstrous character in the film like outside oh. of the bad guys oh okay like on, on their side I mean because he's not it turns out he's not even like US government he's like no he's a complete ag- he's a man for, uh, agent of hire mercenary yeah. to some degree yeah um, but for, but for the cartels right no so he always like fought the cartels he, on yeah, their side I think he was a a prosecutor okay and then they yeah they murdered violently murdered his family yes and now he basically works for anyone that will get him closer to the people who did it yes. as Josh Brolin says yes he's not yeah he's he's not a monster I see I know what you mean I mean arguably well he's no friend definitely depends how you look at it I mean that's what the film's about really okay. like it's about yeah is moral compromise of this scale necessary yeah and I don't know I mean I leave it kind of thinking maybe yeah, maybe it is that's the reality of the drug war that's the reality like the, the, the drug war this is getting political now <laughs> the drug war is just a folly anyway okay. like the war against drugs yeah. but if you actually want to beat cartels maybe some of this sort of stuff is necessary um, I would say you could argue that the most monstrous hero is um, the one the, the guy on their team played by I can't remember his re- the actor's name he's in season 2 of Fargo uh, Dodd the, the head of the family in season 2 of Fargo he's kind of like the, the other one who's in it a lot of it like when they torture the guy he's in the room and then he leaves like oh, oh fancy okay. a right. because he I think derives pleasure from it he yes enjoys yeah. it whereas you don't get that with Del Toro it's a necessity but he's like no but also Del Toro doesn't seem to have a um, he doesn't have scruples no he doesn't no, Absolutely no. Doesn't. he does what's necessary as he sees it yeah, um, yeah. well I was to say this like right at the end he literally holds the gun to Emily Blunt's Yes. Like, yeah. Sign this to say it was legal. Yeah, yeah. He well, he completely hijacks the third act, doesn't he? I yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah, it's great. Right. You you ne- you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah basically, the, the film, film is Emily Blunt's film. Seemingly. Yeah, everything, and not not just as her film. Everything is through the prism of her. When there's a massive gunfight in the um the underground tunnel, yeah, you don't see most of it because she doesn't. No, exactly. It's and all it's through her eyes. The the sort of like the the highlight action scene. Uh, from Sicario is the traffic jam scene when yeah. they're at the border and they're like suspected gunmen in the cars around them so everyone kind of spills out of the car and starts like scoping out the cars to find the people yeah. and obviously a gunfight ensues and yeah it sticks mostly with Emily Blunt because she's sort of behind the car yeah. so everything about this film is telling you this is Emily Blunt's film she's the main character we're looking at it from her perspective Yeah. and then she comes out of the tunnel, like, because they're taking a tunnel under the border to yeah. get into Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. She follows Benicio del Toro, who's split off from the rest of the group suspiciously, so she follows him. Yeah, I was like, setting us up for a third act. Oh, Emily Blunt is now going to stop the villainous del Toro from doing what he's going to do. Yes. An American justice. Will. American justice will be served. Yeah. She comes out of the tunnel, sees del Toro's up to no good. And he shoots her in the chest. Yeah. She survives because she's got like yeah. bulletproof uh, whatever. He's like fuck off, basically. Yeah, he does yeah. it. It's like a don't follow me. Yeah. yeah. And then Emily Blunt's kind of out of the film. 
Yeah, she, she comes, comes back at the end for like the last scene, but I would argue that scene is from Del Toro's perspective more than it is hers. I don't know at the very end, I would say, because the choice comes, where, is she going to shoot him or not? Well, well I, I suck at this film, don't I? I'm sure you watch it. <laughs> it's no, it's not the case at all. I mean, it's well, opinion, isn't it? I, yeah. I like, I think, that, yeah, it's her film up until then. He's like, don't follow me, and then it's just him executing his plan yeah. perfectly. Yes, which she is allowed to some uh, degree. Yeah, and then yeah, we switch back to her just for the. So, what choice? Having experienced all this, where do you stand? Yes, and for whatever reason, she chooses not to shoot him. So. Mm. Is the message of the film that uh, maybe she understands the necessity? Is she scared? It's you know. I would argue weak. <laughs> she's weak. Yeah. I would argue the final scene of the film is sort of an admission that it's oh. all for nothing. Oh, ultimately, yeah, 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 yeah sure. Because another weird aspect of the script is that we randomly cut back to this police officer in Mexico. Yeah. For seemingly no reason, like we know, like okay, he'll probably become part of proceedings at some mm. point. But there's like three or four scenes where it's just kind of him with his family and he's sort of like out on his patrol and it's like, oh, okay, what are these all about? Mm. And then he becomes, uh, he sort of escorts, unwillingly escorts Benicio del Toro to the mansion where um, Benicio del Toro begins executing his plan. Um, and he just like dies unceremoniously. Yeah. He's like out on the road and del Toro just shoots him and he's out of the film. Yeah. And the final scene is his wife and his son, who his wife has taken his son to play football. They start playing football, they hear gunfire off in the distance, they look for a moment and then they just sort of carry on. Yeah. It's just sort of like, oh, okay, this is just like. Yeah, I it's just life for them now, and it's not gonna. Yeah, it hasn't changed anything. I think partly that, partly yeah, it's ultimately all for nothing because the vacuum will be always be filled. Yeah. Partly it's here's the real world consequence of um, here are the people you know that the in any other story would just be the cop that gets shot at the side of the road. Yeah. We're gonna see his life, his tedious, boring little life. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, there's no, there's no flash to it. It's just with his kid. Yeah. They're not like a wonderfully happy family. There's like some resentment there. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's a normal family basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like here's the here's the reality of mm. the, that world for most people. Yes. One of my notes is Roger fucking Deakins. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He knows how how to uh, light a film, doesn't oh, he? Oh, he's he's, uh, <laughs> he's a good in that Roger Deakins. Uh, yeah. He's a good. In. Um, Villeneuve as well because this is a Denis Villeneuve film it who's is. sort of like the unsung one of the unsung heroes of this decade I think he's put out a lot of really good stuff yeah. this decade he's done like Prisoners which I really like I haven't seen Enemy but I hear like it's like you know it's not bad yeah it's okay obviously Sicario yeah. Arrival Blade Runner 2049 like these are some really solid outings year after year as well yeah and yeah, mm. yeah. from Prisoners to Blade Runner yeah yearly releases yeah you know? So it's in, it's impressive, yeah. yeah. And now he's doing Dune. And now he's doing Dune. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's very professional, isn't it? It's a very yes. professional adult movie. Yes. No frills. No, There's no. no melodrama. No overacting. The characters are all very professional. Mm. Josh Brolin's the closest to being unbelievable, I guess, but he's not. No, he's not at really. all. No. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they all just do their jobs. You know what I mean? It, like I said, it reminds me of Mindhunter a little bit in that sense. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The scene at the start where they find the house of corpses and you see them all outside throwing, throwing up. up. Yeah. And that to me, like, because of course yeah. you would throw up. This is your different kind of thriller. And, yeah. And you yeah. don't see that in a. But, uh, yeah, of course you would throw up. Yeah. It's disgusting. 
Yeah, so. yeah. I completely forgot that Daniel Kaluuya was in it. I completely. Forgot. I completely oh, forgot yeah. as well. I was like, oh shit, yeah. Yeah, before everything, okay, he, you're in this. There's one thing that bothers me about him, and that's that he As just, an actor, or the character? No, no, as the character. I say oh, as the he character. He bothers me as an actor as well. <laughs> <laughs> I say as a character, he's not really a character in it. He's just sort of... He is a character. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, you know, I couldn't tell you much about him, but that's kind of by design, I think. Yeah. Um, he's there to be her partner. Yeah, but like he's like Josh Brolin specifically says, "Oh, I only want Emily Blunt" at the beginning mm. of the film, and then halfway through, Daniel Kalu is just part of the operation. All of a sudden, he's brought in. He's brought in through her. Yeah. Yeah, she kind of it, says it, like, oh, "I want him to be a part of it." I yeah. think. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Or he says, "Well, he's got to pick them up from somewhere, isn't he?" Yeah. Ba- basically, yeah. she uses him as her ride to places. Yeah. So she's like, "Yeah, he's involved." Yeah. I don't know, that felt a bit like, like, oh, all of a sudden, it felt like all of a sudden he's just sort of here now. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm surprised. That I know that. what you mean. I, I like him in the film. I think he comes across as very just professional again. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, Their relationship is pretty good because they're yeah. just like, they're clearly friends. There's yeah. no romance. There's a scene where she's like getting dressed in front of him and there's clearly like no yeah, yeah. Um, tension between them or anything like that. And it's it's not a major part of the film their relationship, but I thought that was handled pretty well. Again, there. very adult. It's like we're not going to do the the easy oh like will they won't they thing. Yeah, doesn't yeah. matter. They friend you know. He sets her up with someone who's supposed to be a friend. Yeah, yeah. turns out not to be a friend. Yeah. Indeed. Good old John Bernthal being yeah. quite a pathetic character ultimately, which is quite yeah. good to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Doesn't he torture him? But he just puts his finger in his ear. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, I don't. Let's see that. Yeah. It's like gets me because yeah. that would oh just the idea of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the sequel there is a sequel to this film I presume yeah. there's going to be a third one at some point I think as well I think that's the idea that's yeah, the idea yeah, yeah. development yeah for me um, I only bring this up because for me what makes Sicario so good and what sort of like solidifies it as this thing I really like is it's the tone and it's the cinematography okay both of which I feel are absent from the sequel they are I mean I went into the sequel knowing obviously it wasn't the same director yeah wasn't the same cinematographer no nope wasn't the same composer I don't think no it wasn't He, I think he died by that point right okay so it was Del Toro and Brolin yeah and that was it, yeah and the, and the same script writer so I was yeah. like right well I like the writer mm. so as long as I expect nothing else the same yeah it'll be and I found it okay like I, I quite liked Sicario 2 okay as a thriller yeah mm. it's n- it's nowhere near no uh, being Sicario problem is though at the very end of the film they use um, what's it called is it called The Beast yeah which is a piece that they play during Sicario when they cross the border for the first mm-hmm. time and it's a, yeah it's an incredibly ominous piece yeah. of music which granted we've like <laughs> taken power from it because we've memed it a couple of times yeah. like privately <laughs> we have um, or used it in memes but they play that at the very end of the film and for me that was just a nail in the coffin it's like okay. we haven't you haven't ended right okay yeah well, Sicario is one of the few films that I've rewatched as a result of being on your guys' lists that my opinion has shot way up. Oh, about okay. it. I'm not saying my opinion has gone down about a lot of these films, yeah. but it stayed static. Whereas Sicario, it went way yeah, up. Yeah, okay. I think because the first time I watched it, the simplicity of the script was kind of a problem for me. Like, oh, it's not, it's not a really writery script. Yeah. Not a problem anymore. Yeah, uh, no. You know what I saw? I li- I like the simplicity of it. Um, my one critique for Sicario is at the very end when Del Toro is at um, the Hefe's dinner table with mm-hmm. his family um, the cartel boss says to him this guy who killed his family basically 
says, just so you know, it wasn't personal. And there's a long silence. Then Del Toro leans in and goes, for me, it is. And then he kills this guy's family. Mm. And I just think, as zingers go, they could have been a better zinger. Mm. Or nothing. I think it would have been yeah. more effective if, he, if he'd gone, you, just so you know, it wasn't personal. And it's like, what can you say to something as callous and indifferent as yeah. that? Nothing, just shoot his kids, which is what he does, you know. And of course, Brock from Breaking Bad is... <laughs> that poor is, kid. Is one of the... yeah the cartel boss's kids yeah it's good go watch it okay okay so my number eight is her shit <laughs> <laughs> you haven't rewatched this no I tried okay I think you're around to it so her is sat in a recognisable future and Joaquin Phoenix plays a man named Theodore Twombly <laughs> uh, who whose job is to kind of write Cards for on the beh- on behalf of other people, mm. um, and he downloads an app, I guess. Uh, this is an OS. An OS, okay. Yeah. Uh, called is it Samantha? Scarlett Johansson. It, it, yeah, it's Samantha. Yeah, Samantha. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, my top ten of the decade, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, and well, you saw what I did with Sicario. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, she, they strike up a relationship, basically. Yeah. And the film is about that relationship. Yes. Romantic relationship. Romantic relationship, yes. They have the sex. There is a sex scene? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Reminded me of... It's good to know that uh, there's an app for that as well. Yes, that is nice. There's an app for that. Yeah. It reminded me... Well, I say it reminded me of... It came later. But yeah, it put me in mind of the Blade Runner 2049 scene, which I wouldn't be surprised if that was inspired a little bit by... Because the yeah. concept is very similar, even though the execution is quite different. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So her. It's a film of its mood, I think. Yeah. Principally. Yeah. It's a great script. Yes. Uh, written by Spike Jones, who's mainly known as a director. I love the design of the film. All the pinks. Uh, I think partly it reminds me of My Bloody Valentine. It reminds me of Loveless. Ah, okay. And so okay. that's that. It kind of taps it into that. It does have a very soft almost like fuzzy not fuzzy but you know the, the the softness things tend to like colours sort of like yeah bleed together almost and they sort of like yeah very soft palettes and they please stop me I don't know where I'm going no, at this point. it's a very fuzzy feeling film yeah you know it's a very nice film in a way yeah um, I'm a big admirer of the score and the soundtrack yeah who who did the score it's Arcade Fire Arcade Fire that's right and Karen Oh, contributed yeah. to one of the songs, right? Moon Song. Um, yeah, it's great music. Uh, I think uh, it also kind of reminds me of Lost in Translation. It's got that sort of vibe to it. This kind of melancholy, oh yeah, neon yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Also, Scarlett Johansson. Oh yeah, enough. indeed. Yeah. Um, Am I right in saying that Scarlett Johansson was recast in this film, or she was the, she was the recast? She, was she the, yeah, she, she replaced somebody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Samantha Morton, I think she replaced yeah. I want to talk at that time we watched it so oh, I, yes. I'd seen the film uh, and then insisted that we watch it as a group yeah and there was five of us in it four or five of us four I believe yeah and it's the only time I've ever watched a film with a group of male friends and at the end of it we were all clearly suppressing crying tears and then we all was like let's, let's just hug it out and we had a big group <laughs> <laughs> to hug out with the experience of that film because it is a very sad film it's the hardest I've tried to not cry while watching a film really yeah what do you think it is 
Oh, well, for me, it was just the the sort of revelation, the big revelation scene that comes towards the end of the film about the true the true nature of the relationship for her, the operating yes. system. But yeah, that's why I cried anyway. Just the, the, the sort of like when the reality of it sets in, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's horrible. I hate that. <laughs> that's horrible. Yeah, I think partly, you know, Phoenix especially with Joker now he has a reputation for like obviously being a great actor but for playing kind of weird yeah. weird guys you know what I mean yeah. like the master or um, you never really or you never really hear but her to me is proof that he can do anything because yes. he's just a nice lovely guy in that film yeah. yeah that you have nothing but like positive feelings towards yeah. Uh, and yeah so when his heart is broken it it hurts yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh it does because there's a scene where he goes on what is essentially a picnic. Yeah. And it's him and the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and then Chris Pratt and his, um, you know, other are. Yeah. And it's like the loveliest time in the, you know. Yeah. And it's like, there's only three of them. Like, in, in the world <laughs> of this film, it makes complete and utter sense. Yeah. But from the outside looking in, that's three people and a fucking phone. Yeah. yeah. That's the detail I like about the film, uh, if I remember correctly, is that it's not uncommon for people to fall in love with their operating systems. No. No. I like yeah. that. It doesn't treat this like this is a one in a million chance and it's like, oh, destiny. Like, no, it happens all the time. Yeah. yeah. And so Amy Adams is also in it and yes. she's going through relationship issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after her relationship goes south, she ends up talking to um, an operating system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now you never sort of hear that, that operating system you no. never see that obviously that's not the story they're telling yeah yeah. Um, another although, nice detail I think. yes yes although I did I did wonder whether it is the same uh, well, it's it female be, it is female isn't it yeah it's female oh okay interesting so I did right. wonder whether it's got it's technically both and I see they, what you're saying and right, they yeah. just haven't discussed because you know obviously Joaquin Phoenix and Amy Adams are discussing the fact that they're you know yeah. talking to operating systems but not oh that's fucked if they're both <laughs> quote unquote dating the same operating you system know. yeah <laughs> particularly the reaction he has when he finds out that she is also talking to thousands of others yeah yeah just the the, the amount just the amount yeah, of people and, the amount of people she's cool, falling yeah, up with as well so fuck yeah because obviously when he finds some of this out he's out, out on the street because he'd lost connection which yeah. a, a, a lovely little touch yeah because that is so true of how everyone reacts when they lose connection like <laughs> now yep you know I mean I didn't have in- internet for two weeks and it was like the worst <laughs> thing in the world and now I've got internet and I'm not sure it's any better um, yeah but you know he's out out in public and then obviously he finds that out and he's just looking around at everyone talking on their phones mm-hmm. and it's like oh Okay. Yeah. Literally, possibly everyone you've seen is talking to her as well. Yeah. yeah. He's having a relationship with her as well, and that is hard to, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a hard thing to deal with. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing like I don't normally go in for these types of films, whiffly waffly. Oh, indies. Yeah. Mm. Yay. Well, lonely people. <laughs> I've got, I I have a sympathy for social outcasts and loners I always will but the these kind films with this kind of tone I don't tend to go in for so it's a testament to the film mm. that I like it as much as I do yes because um, as I've got on here it's a film that would listen to the Smiths yeah and 
I tend to I love the Smiths, mm-hmm. but like Mark Kermode said, I hate characters that like the Smiths. Yes. And I'm sort of like that. Um yeah, so it is a testament to the power of, of that film. Uh it reminds me of Synecdoche, New York, which I don't think either of you have No, seen, I haven't seen that. Which is a film about a playwright. Um it's a, an entirely different story, but surrounded by women, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's what her is, essentially, with the exception of Chris Pratt. It's basically Phoenix and a bunch of mm-hmm. women. Um, which leads into my one tiny critique of the film, and that is Joaquin Phoenix is not an unattractive man. No. At all. No. But Rooney Mara, Olivia Wilde, and Amy Adams? Yeah, it's a bit much. Not no. happening. No. Nah, you can fuck right off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. No way. And like Olivia Wilde throws herself at him as well. Yeah. She's only in it for. Give it, cause she's got quite a high bill of casting. Yeah. And she's in it for, what, five minutes? Yeah. Hmm. She's brilliant in it, but yeah, um, but yeah, he's doing all right for himself. But... <laughs> he's not done too badly. Yeah, it's like um, <laughs> it's like in what's it called? Sorry to bother you. Is that the yeah yeah? That's the film I'm trying to think of with in Keith with... Stanfield. Yeah, yeah, where he's dating uh, Tessa Thompson, and he's like complaining about you know oh things are shit, everything's shit, my life is shit. I'm like you're, you're banging Tessa Thompson. <laughs> Come on now. I mean, you, but like if you think about it, like yeah, as you say, Rooney Mara, Amy Adams, Olivia Wilde. He forgot an operating system that was voiced by Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> a digital Johansson, yeah. 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 Like, fuck no. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Stress yeah, his credibility. Yeah. Fuck him. Yeah, he's doing alright for himself. Um so the the there's the sex scene, obviously, with between him and Samantha. Mm-hmm. There's the other sex scene. Yeah, so but okay, so the Samantha sex scene, it's very well executed. Yes. Yep. And I just want like fair play to those two. Mm. For committing to that scene, yeah, yeah, because you couldn't pay me enough money, period, to to agree to do something like that. No, no way. No, no. So good for them. Yeah. Uh, the other sex scene, which has Portia Doubleday, her of Mr. Robot, mm-hmm. yeah. it's not a far fetched. That's the the note I made about that scene. It doesn't feel like a far fetched idea. No. Nope. Twenty years ago, Tinder was sci fi. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't see it. You know, I I see that perfectly being a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's deeply uncomfortable. Sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it could happen. Uh, I like that it's kind of about a very... It, it's about the artificiality of that kind of romance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But with, a, with never saying that the feelings are artificial. The feelings are very, very real. Otherwise, you wouldn't care about their relationship. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's clearly very kind of sad relationship, really. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. you pity it whilst rooting for it it's a weird kind of yeah yeah because the film um, other characters react the way you would imagine uh, people would react when you say you're dating your operating system yeah but also yeah it's like to go back again to the scene where you find out like how many people she's mm. in love with mm-hmm. um, that feels like a genuine betrayal that feels yeah, like a genuine does, yeah. like breakup yeah well yeah because when he starts telling people that he's dating an operating system the response is oh cool like, yeah he tells so Chris like, Pat oh, and Chris okay. Pat's like yeah nice yeah. We should get together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love the poster. That's obviously not part of the film, but I love the poster. It's yeah. just, just his face. Yeah. yeah. Red on pink. And just, yeah. just his face. Yeah. Um, I didn't know the cinematographer was Hoyt van Hoytema. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. He was DP for her. Yeah. Um, uh, it's actually funny as well. Like, unexpectedly funny. 
Yeah. Like there's yeah. the video game. Yeah, that's like the bit. one thing that I remember um, that I've always kind of remembered of the film is that little video game character. Yeah, yeah. He's just swearing yeah, yeah. constantly. <laughs> yeah, come on, asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's just getting bullied by a five-year-old online. <laughs> <laughs> right, is it supposed to be the character or is it someone like speaking through the I, I don't know, okay. but it does feel like he's getting bullied like a five-year-old. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, and my final note on her is I wonder if Johansson was actually on set because I don't know that that'd be interesting I wouldn't it yeah to figure out no well, even more fair play to I was going to say that's, that's a bloody good performance yeah. if yeah, he's yeah. not bouncing off anyone because yeah. I feel like genuine conversations yeah, yeah. are being had as well uh, it's one of the best voice performances ever I yes. want to add that as well yeah yeah, yeah. in film um, um, yeah I wonder what the original performance would have been like whether they whether it was bad or whether they just stumbled across Johansson mm. and were like oh this is much better yeah I don't know yeah. I will say of the films on either list yeah her is the only film that came closest okay that nearly took out I nearly took out Birdman for that oh, okay okay, okay. so you like you like her then I, I've got a lot of yeah it it's of the films from your list mm-hmm. that I've rewatched it's the one I've rewatched the most Okay. Okay. Okay, so um, that was all our number eights. Uh, on to number seven. Mm-hmm. For me, number seven is Inside Out. Okay. Um, a Disney movie about emotions in your head. <laughs> <laughs> well, for you, it is, yeah. yeah, yeah, in your head, yeah, in your head. Um, I don't, I don't really know how else to sum it up. It's got sadness. It's got. Happiness. <laughs> <laughs> it ticks all the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> it's got sadness, happiness, anger, uh, fear, and disgust. Yeah, um, which you know, I, I could sums up what my head usually has going on. Uh-huh. Um, you have joy. Yeah, loser. <laughs> Not very often. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, well, what's it about? Well, yeah, what's tell us what it's it about. It is what about. Uh, so it revolves around those five um, emotions uh, in the head of a young girl called Riley, mm-hmm. who um, basically her emotions get fucked up um, because they move house. And then two of them end up out of the main console, as it were. Joy and sadness, trying to uh, get back to head office, as it were, yeah. uh, on their yeah. own 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 little journey. Yeah. I like that. No, 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 because that's not a joke the film makes, from what I remember. No, I don't think it makes that so, joke. Um, so, well done, Eddie. Well done. <laughs> to be fair, get it on your be, audio as well. To be fair, we inferred the joke. What do you mean? He just said head office and we went, eh? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's not like he went head office. Huh? Huh? <laughs> no, I know, but, yeah. you know. So why, why, why are we congratulating him? We should be congratulating ourselves. Okay, well done, Seth. Well done, George. There we go. Carry on. Applaud us, Eddie. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're, they're on their own sort of little journey, which leaves Riley being piloted by anger, disgust and fear. Yeah, and you know she's in a sort of brand new place doesn't really know what's going on and obviously those three emotions are not making the best choices 
I know it's a Pixar film, and I suppose... Like, when you're watching it, I'm not really thinking of plot holes, per se. But when you do start thinking about that universe... Yeah. It kind of... Okay, so when Joy and Sadness are out of head office, does that mean she's incapable of experiencing Joy and Sadness? Yes. So she can only experience anger, fear, and disgust. I get... As the film goes, yes. Yeah, I get that. But I don't know what it's kind of a metaphor for. Is it emblematic of wider experience? Or is it, like, only in Riley's head has this ever happened where joy and sadness aren't present? Because I, I sort of get what it's doing. Because there's a moment where, like, sadness starts touching all the ha- the joy orbs and, like, tainting it with her blue, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and I get the idea of, like, okay, I see what it's doing. It's, like, how happy memories become sad. Yeah, I, I understand that. And obviously the big resolution of the film is they, they work together to yes, produce bittersweet because, kind of yes yeah. because there are memories that were once happy which are going to be sad that's yeah, how that's, it works that's how it works you know so I get that but I suppose I don't really know what it means for those two on a metaphorical level to leave the, the office like does that happen to all of us that they leave the office or they're just not at the controls see I don't know yeah because obviously when you see how the the mother's head is piloted yes. by sadness yeah. and then the father's head is piloted by anger. Yeah. Um, Gender so, norms. Yeah. Hashtag 2020. Year for vision. <laughs> Year for vision. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Go on. There would be a joke made on a podcast with three men with glasses. <laughs> Year for vision, yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, no, I, I don't know. Is I feel like the film was trying to suggest that this particular incident has happened only for her. Right. But if you were looking at it from the grand scheme of things and the broader picture, mm. realistically, there are all t- going to be times where we, you know, don't have joy of course, yeah. at the forefront and we don't have sadness. Yeah, you know. but I thought that that was kind of physically represented by you know, fear will kick Joy away from the controls. Like, oh, let me pilot the ship. I get that. Yeah. Like, they're all there, but sometimes other, you know, certain ones are driving it. But it's the whole idea of they leave the office. Because you would be a psychologist's wet dream of, like, this girl is, is incapable of experiencing joy or sadness. Like, they're not actually in her brain. Yeah. Well, it gets, it gets to the point where she... They don't know how to handle it, so she ends up with the idea that she's going to run away. Yeah. I don't know whether it's trying to say it happens for everyone like mm. that or whether it's just for her purely yeah. because... it's tricky isn't it because she goes through it, the emotions are traveling through her head yeah. so which is obviously um it's sort of like represented as this physical space so like her train of thoughts is a literal train that has like opinions and memories and stuff loaded onto it um they go to like the dream center which is like a film studio and stuff like that um but the the emotions they sort of like go through experiences that i think most people go through Mm. um obviously one of the main supporting characters of riley's old imaginary friend Mm -hmm. bing bong bing bong big up who's the what's it who's the what who likes to play who's the i think yeah it's who who likes to play bing bong bing bong who's the girl is it what are you talking about? Who's the girl who likes to play Bing Bong? Oh, right, okay. His song. I don't know. Okay. It's something like that. <laughs> um, 
it's a kick-ass imaginary friend. Yes, yeah, but it's the best the film. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But obviously, you know, played by Richard Kind. Richard Kind. Um, you know, Riley's getting old, so uh, Bing Bong's got to go bye bye. The one thing I got to say, you know, uh, so Bing Bong's got like a trunk, isn't he? Yeah. Now Richard Kind is a very famous has a very famous Jewish voice. Are you going to imply is that it, is it anti-Semitic that they gave him a massive nose? <laughs> I don't think it is. <laughs> just saying. I think there was. Just I like, see I the guy you hire when you want to do like a, a nervous Jewish man. <laughs> That's a they really good impression. <laughs> yeah, they might have looked at the elephant and gone, "Ah, oh, okay." Take it of the moan for me. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's. <laughs> I guess cool. you. Yeah. Um, no, but the point I was going to make is they go through experiences that kids go through, like losing, like you know. The imaginary friend sort of like yeah. leaving your mind and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but yeah, it does feel like a very atypical thing to happen, doesn't it? That these emotions are just sort of absent for whatever reason. But also, it is a Pixar film and it's like it's structured like a Pixar film. Yeah. It's like Toy Story and all those like road trip movies they've done. Yeah, I don't, so, I don't want to kind of like undermine it by deconstructing it, but it's no. when you do start asking those questions of like. Because there are points, obviously, where they're all united and, oh, you know, Riley's happy. Yay, we succeeded. Yeah. Can fear be happy? Or must it always be scared? Surely it must always be scared. I mean, it, well, yeah. It's yeah, just like, yeah. You've got to be careful, don't you? Because if it reaches the point where, like, you have to give the emotions emotions. Well, they do, yeah. Joy is sad. You know? Yeah, joy gets sad and, and fear uh, gets happy. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. If we yeah. we can't go too far into this mythology. No, 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 no. Who plays, Even adults are going to struggle who, at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who plays anger? Oh, what's his name? Lewis, Lewis Black. Lewis Black. Yeah. yeah, I like him. Yeah, he was born to do that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. very well cast. The film is very well. Cast. Pineapple on pizza. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's broccoli on pizza. Oh, broccoli. Yes, you're right. Which is a travesty. Oh, it's even worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. somehow. Yeah. Is that yeah. is that a fiction? Is that an affectation, or can you get broccoli on pizza? Oh, I uh, think in San, San Francisco. Francisco oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where all the queers live. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, San Francisco life. 2020 year for vision. <laughs> is that just going to be your my get out? Now. <laughs> get out. Yeah, yeah. It's going to say really like horrible, derogatory shit. It's like yeah. hashtag 2020 year for vision. Yes. I mean, when Inside Out came out, it was sort of seen as a return to form for Pixar, wasn't it? Yes. yes. They've done a couple of had a couple of duds. Cars two was not received very well. Brave was kind of like yeah, all right. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Monsters um, University. Monsters University, which yeah. <laughs> Um, the thing with Monsters University, though, is in my opinion, it's fine, but there wasn't. That's, that's it. Yeah, Pixar, you're expecting. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. You know, when that point, when, when Monsters failure. Inc. came out, like that was like up there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah. Then, yeah. So yeah, when it, you sat there going, "Oh, it's fine." Well, I mean, there's a time there. So Pixar, obviously, they make Toy Story, then they make A Bug's Life, which obviously is nowhere near as good as Toy Story. Mm-hmm. But like, oh, it's their sac- It's their sophomore effort. Then they made Toy Story 2, which in many ways is better than Toy Story. Yeah. I mean, since then, you got to think, they had Monsters, Inc., then they had Finding Nemo, then they had The Incredibles. Like... They were on a roll. Yeah, oh, you can't yeah. sustain that. Because, you know, they're not just three great films, they're three of the greatest films of that decade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like... The, and then, unfortunately, the, the new we benchmark got, of animation. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, unfortunately, then we got Incredibles 2, Finding Dory... Well, we got, we got a bunch of films in between that. You know, we also got like Wally, which was you know up, up Wally. Yeah. Um, those two. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, Ratatouille was, was pretty good. Was all right. It's not, I, it's I, not a kids' film. No, I have a lot good. of love for Ratatouille. Yeah, yeah. And I like I I haven't seen it in a while, but I was very fond of Cars when I first saw it. I imagine yeah. this time time might not have been as kind to that as other Pixar films, but it's I I liked Cars when I saw it. Yes, yeah, the Bugs Life sort of. Yeah. 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 
Um, yeah, so Inside Out. So yeah, rewatched it. It is great. And again, you as long as you don't think about it too much, <laughs> you can. And there are some like I feel like it was a film that was like, oh, a train of thought could actually be a train. Yeah, it's sort of come from those sorts of conversations. There's one bit that makes no sense to me. I, I get like a rash every time I see it, and that is when she, they're like creating the dream as like a you know a mm. movie set. Yeah, and obviously the cliche is the teeth falling out dream. Yeah, in the middle of like a class, and like the camera is Riley's POV. Yeah. Yeah. And then like a, a, a you know a prop hand basically gets like a like a jar of teeth mm. and starts dropping it in front of the camera. Yeah. As I like, got oh, teeth is falling out. Uh, teeth are falling out. Oh but yeah. Your teeth aren't on your head. Yeah, they're not going to fall. They're no, not going to fall in front of your eyes. No, so that bothers me every time I <laughs> yeah, see it. That's, that's, I hadn't thought of that. I, I think you'd be written off as oh it's a dream. No, 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 no. I know what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, not acceptable. Yeah, that's that's an example of it trying to be too clever, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's like, oh, it's a camera and we but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I mean th- yeah, that is a problem. But I like like the yeah, they do they have fun with the idea of uh, physicalizing you the inside of someone's head, you know? abstract yeah. space and all abstract that space. Sort of I love stuff like that yeah. anyway, like yeah, train yeah. of thought and you know. Yeah. yeah. It is the f- if I'm f- feeling crappy it is the film I'll probably put on okay is it uh, what does it stand uh, presumably it's your favourite Pixar film of, the, of this decade at least yeah. where does it stand in the pantheon of Pixar for you Toy, Toy Story, Story 2, 2 then, then mm-hmm. is probably the top okay yeah, yeah that's great um then The Incredibles yeah I had a lot of love for that when that came mm-hmm. out um that's a film that's improved over time for me absolutely yeah yeah that, that, that was a film because I had the game of that and everything. Oh, right. So, yeah. 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 I used to have that. Um, poor, you poor souls. Well, we, we were nine or ten. No, I know. But yeah, imagine like, it, it was such. It was such a thing when I was at school um, that we used to take it in turns. Those of us who owned it would take it in turns to bring it into the after school club we all went to. Oh, right. And we would all play it because we had like one save card at the... Right, right at the after school, school club, so we'd all take it to bring our own discs, so and we weren't always bringing in <laughs> one person's to, um, like, you know, scratch out the disc yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So we were <laughs> equally wearing down our own game. Um, of course, it's the best Fantastic Four movie made, isn't it? Absolutely. Incredibles. Yeah, yeah that's, that's my favourite. Incredibles. Monsters um, Inc. for me, but Incredibles yeah. is a close second. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And then Toy Story, which I rewatched recently, and it's just the script for Toy Story is amazing. <laughs> and it's the one we talked about this, it's one of the only moments in cinema that will bring me to tears every time and that is um, when the music soars when they start flying yeah at the end oh so, so good <laughs> so good but as Randy Newman scores are funny though they are good but like where he just literalises what's happening on screen oh, yeah. mm. I get it's a kids film but like <laughs> it's when Buzz thinks he, he's gonna get out of Sid's house and he starts climbing and the music soars and he uh, swells and he's like I can do it. I believe I can fly. I can fly. And then he falls. <laughs> and then uh, the music goes, Now I've fallen down. <laughs> Basically, it's essentially, yeah. I ain't gonna fly no more. <laughs> so bad. Uh, but oh, yeah. That's no, good shit. It's great. But Toy oh, Story yeah. 2, yeah. amazing. Finding Nemo is amazing. They got some good stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I remember liking this film more. It's kind of the opposite effect effect of The Incredibles, where it's gone down a little bit over time. Yeah. I don't like it as much as I first saw it. It's still, like, one of the... 
Um, there's a moment towards the end of the film which remains like the hardest I've laughed in a cinema or like one of the hard times I've laughed yeah, the I remember. in the cinema yeah. and that is um, there's a character in the film who turns out to be called Jordan which of course is my name um, and he sees Riley in the crowd and it like zooms inside his head and there's just a siren going off going girl girl and the emotions are just <laughs> yeah. panicking yeah uh, yeah I, it means more to me because obviously that's my name as well and I just related to it and I, yeah I, I think I think you said I was laughing so hard that like people were looking at us yeah like, yeah. what's he what's he gonna <laughs> shut up yeah I like that I th- the cats I always relate to not relate to it but like yeah I get that yeah which is there's no one at the console they're yeah. all just slinking around <laughs> yeah they just off somewhere um the the design could be a bit better. Yes. Like the the landscape is very barren. For a pixel, you're expecting a little bit more detail. Yeah. Do you think that was intentional? I would have thought so. I mean, like, this is 2015. This isn't early Pixar. This no, no, is. Yeah. They can do. Yeah. Yes. Stunning detail. You yeah. Know? I would say well, because the, there's the there's a scene where they move into the new house. Yeah. And so they have to imagine what the room could look like. Yeah. And just the, that sequence as they fill the room up with different things. Mm-hmm. I quite enjoy just watching that because, and it, it sounds really bad, but they organise the room. Oh, yeah. And, and oh, that's... Like, that's, that's so, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's awkward of the kids filming the cinema. <laughs> it's just... It's, it, but it is. It's just really satisfying. And yeah. I know that sounds really... But it's so no, just it's really, not the girl. It's the furniture. <laughs> That's it, what yeah. I like. Like, yeah, there is just something really satisfying about that. Yes. Uh, particular scene for me. There's a, there's a terrifying moment in the film, mm. and that is when they kind of jangles the clown. <laughs> now, not when he wakes up. That's because you know that's fine. It's when he mumbles something. They're, they're on top of him, and he goes like, <laughs> and I don't like that. <laughs> a sleeping clown. What's that clown yeah. up to? Yeah. What's he thinking? Yeah. yeah. Can you dream if you're in someone's head? Oh, let's not do that. <laughs> like, a lot of well, that... Okay, you're getting onto Inception Man. level. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, like, yeah, that's... <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it reaches a certain point where you have to, like, suspend your disbelief. I don't want to use that as an excuse for the film. Mm. Um, but, yeah, when you... But also, point, like, it's like, do, their, do, do their, like, nightmares dream... <laughs> That's the point Man. where you're like, this doesn't really belong in a kid's film. This level of abstraction, you know? Yeah. Then again, there is that like sequence where they get abstracted. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. They bit... become abstract thought. Yeah. They become two-dimensional. Which is fun. Yeah. But then again, that's a good example of um, it appealing to all audiences. Because although because audience... joy became abstract thought. Man. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. <laughs> the kids will enjoy the animation because they go like 2D and then they yeah, break yeah. down the shape of colour. Whereas adults will listen to the dialogue, where it's like we're becoming like non, yeah, yeah. Uh, corporeal yeah, fragmentation yeah. or whatever the fuck, and you're just like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> I like that. It's like oh, three emotions and they're becoming abstract thought: joy, sadness, and bing bong. What? Cross <laughs> <laughs> speech is becoming abstract as well. Yeah, that's all I think I've got to say about Inside Out. Yeah, yeah. George, go watch Inside Out. I guess. Uh, yeah, all these are recommendations. Yes, I know. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, all I think from all of us, all are as well each other's lists. Yeah, I don't think there's anything that I was like, um, oh, I wouldn't watch this again. No, or like, oh, I wouldn't recommend this to somebody else. I mean, you took off Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, so yeah, yes, <laughs> but I was instructed to because you said you, you were hated it and you said you were bored. <laughs> it's because <laughs> how you're taking off your list. I, I have fucking loads to say about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. 
And I was bored. You were bored. Yes. Stop being bored. It's a good film. No, it's not. I agree with you because you said, Sam, yeah. one of your notes was really best of the decade. Yeah. That's why it's not on the list. But I still yeah. recommend Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I yeah, yeah. It's broadly, yeah. Good film. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. But it's not my number seven because my number seven is Nightcrawler. Now, that is on my you, list. You, it's on your oh, list okay. and it's a little further on, right? Uh, it is. Okay. So okay. we're not going to talk about Nightcrawler for the moment? No. Uh, my number seven is Parasite. Okay, we can't talk about we that can't talk yet. about that either yet. So we'll although I do want I do want to uh, say something briefly. Um, you and whichever one of us has it on our list, um, we're a bit dubious about including it because it's 2019. Film, yeah, uh, which is obviously it's eligible because mm-hmm. it's best of the decade, but because it's so recent. Yeah. Um, there was that fear that like oh is the honeymoon period just not over yet mm-hmm. um, but no upon, it's a cracking yeah, film upon multiple rewatches um, I think it's safe to say that this might be one to stay I think I don't think oh that, yeah, yeah. The, the, the question for me is will it stay that low yes exactly I, I mean I see Parasite very likely entering my favourite films of all time yeah okay but yeah we'll talk about that a bit yeah. more in depth later look forward to when that shows up yes. I guess in the next episode. Okay. Oh, you've just spoiled it now. Why? I don't know. Eddie. <laughs> They're going to see you now. Not doing all time. <laughs>